Well, we may not be in the Hellfire Club, but we're here to talk Jibberfish, aren't we, Dom? Yep, we are here back again recording without Hellfire Club t-shirts because we do not have the speed of Hermes. Right? Did you see the, this bullshit with the the, t- the Hellfire Club t-shirts? No, I assume it instantly, instantly sold out. Yeah, they were getting sold in a shop here in the UK. I don't know if it's in, if it's worldwide or international, but a shop over here in the UK called Primark. And they were being sold for £10, and they were apparently of uh, really, really good quality. Me, quite liking the series, I tried to track one down. Could not find them in Scotland whatsoever. If I wanted to get one, I'd have to order it from HMV for £25. Nah, I'm good. I'm good. I want a Hellfire Club t-shirt, but I'm not going to spend that amount of money. I'm just going to wait for Primark to bring them back, or I'm going to find it cheap at a convention or something like that. (laughs) If conventions ever come back to Scotland, I I heard good things about um there was stuff coming back like last couple of weeks. Unfortunately, I was working the weekend. It was actually due to, in Glasgow because there was like an anime con. There was always anime cons because we're all dirty and filthy anyway. So yeah, coronavirus can't really scare that way. But some of the conventions that I used to go to, I'm terrified to go back to because they usually have fighting game tournaments. Oh yeah, you so, you had a segment at once and you just went off for like twenty minutes. <laughs> Yeah, motherfuckers. Still bugs me, man. (laughs) It still bugs me. Hygiene at cons was important back then. It is now vital. If you come into a con smelling with a three-year-old mask, get out and do not be annoyed if I spray you with deodorant (laughs) or for breeze, (laughs) or for breeze, or fucking (laughs) dunk you in Swarfiga. Oh, I'd miss Sorfega. That was fucking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you just put this weird green gel in your hands and it would soak up yeah. all the oil, all the dirt, all the grease, and then you'd just be left there with just the cleanest hands, but the most terrifying feeling you've just poisoned yourself. Like- <laughs> yeah, all the paint and super glue and stuff for when you were making your Warhammer models, just sitting there in the sink with some skin. Yeah. <laughs> that shit was industrial strength and you always used more than you needed. I have paid a price for this. I do not know what the cost will be someday. <laughs> When you'll just you'll just uh, go to shake someone's hand, they'll just fall off, yeah. and Swarfy will ooze out of it and move on to the next villain. So, next, next villain, next victim. <laughs> my vic- all, all my victims are villains. That's how I keep them. Uh, that's how I stay in the police's good graces. <laughs> that's how you justify your murder sprees. Yeah, hey, gotta do it somehow. Uh, yeah. We originally planned this as being an episode about Stranger Things season four. Unfortunately, we just kind of can't feel there's enough there to talk about that hasn't already been talked about. We're a couple of weeks behind. And yeah. It's basically just the point where I assume if you've seen Stranger Things, you've probably watched it already. Like, I assume if you like, if you're interested in it, you're not waiting for us to give you the go-ahead. Yeah. I mean, if you if you were interested in the series, yeah, this is probably the best one we've had in a while. Um, yeah, it was definitely better than... I know a lot of people hated season three, but I actually thought season three was fantastic. Season two was the, a massive improvement over season two. Yeah, season two was where it kind of it tired me out a little bit because it was cool. Eleven finding other people like her that like you see. Can't remember her name. It's I know her number's eight. Yeah, number eight. But she has a name. It begins with a K, I think. Yeah, Ali. Thank all, you. All I remember Voice is. The PC. <laughs> all I remember is that's the scenes with uh, Kai Green in it. And Kai Green is a former US bodybuilder and strongman, and he is just the funniest, like, dude. he's just a guy who hangs out and happens to be 
like six foot tall and about six foot wide. And he's yeah. fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. He can do the splits, apparently. Which is impressive for a guy with that much muscle. You'd think something would tear. Yeah. You think you think that amount of weight being dispersed that that Yeah, uh, our, our short short review of Change of Things season four. Uh go watch it. I get like Colin said, you're not waiting for us to give you the go ahead to watch it if you wanted to see it. It's there already. Uh, there were some sort of naysayers out there saying that season four was the worst one yet, but I think they must have been watching a different bootleg copy of Stranger Things from Cambodia or some shit like that. Yeah, there's a lot there as fans of like horror stuff to enjoy. Um, yeah. I was a big fan. Definitely of ramped up the horror this season. Vecna's possession scenes and the the twisting of like bodies that you can pull off with certain like happens to a few characters throughout the show, and just watching it happen, oh fuck! It, it was up there with a saw torture trap. Yeah. Uh, I know there's one that is about twisting limbs, and I can't remember what it's called, but it's about you just hear like a ratcheting noise as stuff moves back, back further and further. And this was somehow worse than watching those happen gradually. Um, we got the best character of the season or of the show uh, so far, Eddie. Yeah, uh, I thought Eddie Munson was a fantastic addition to the the show. Uh, spoilers: he dies. He does not make it all the way through at the end. Um, yeah. And I honestly I felt think like that uh, Tyler the Creator meme came in very, very handy. Whenever, because <laughs> there was a post by the Duffer Brothers saying that, "Don't worry, we've got some plans for for Eddie Munson." I just felt like saying it after I watched season finale. So that was just a fucking lie, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, Eddie, Eddie was good. It was a bit of a change of pace. Whereas you've got everyone who's just, you know, we owe this. Like we we are involved in this now. We need to stop it. Eddie's just no, we fucking don't. These are monsters. Let's let's go and listen to some records and you know do normal kid shit and smoke weed. <laughs> Uh, for me, it was, first of all, just a, a nice thing to see a Satanist character who isn't the bad guy. And it is a very key point that everyone in the town assumes he's the bad guy because he's a Satanist. Yeah. And he's evil. And I he's, wouldn't really say he's a Satanist. Well, he's, he's kind of, he's the Dungeons Dragons guy. He's got this weird eclectic taste. He's a drug dealer yeah. on the side. Like, he sells weed to people. You know, he's, he's just, you know, he's a kid who has he's, a dog he's a side. Yeah, he's a darker kid. And they kid, can use him as the focal point for the whole satanic panic uh, storyline that they're building up for this season. Yeah, which is very well handled, and it's some of the best stuff is you get this kind of weird mob mentality forming, uh, especially in members of the basketball team, who are like, no, we need to go and save, or we need to go avenge uh, Chrissy, the cheerleader. Yeah. We need to go and avenge her, and we're going to do it with mob violence. And it's that kind of thing that we, we, we joked about with um, Halloween Kills. Where you have like this small town mob violence of just like rednecks with shotguns and trucks and yeah. stuff, and you're like, okay, this is handling it better than strange uh, than uh, than Halloween because they just have it eked out. It like it's constantly there. They're constantly hunting and searching and looking and gathering more weapons to take down Eddie, who's just a kid. He's the wrong kid. He's just someone who was caught in the middle of it all. Yeah, and because he's got hellfire, and it's like, oh, you're you're playing that Dungeons and Dragons. You're you're you know summoning demons and shit like that. <laughs> then you've got uh, what's the kid, the the guy that's leading the charge, the Aryan dude. I want to say Jason. Yeah, Jason sounds right. That might be what I hate him. I hate the name Jason, <laughs> and just everything about this guy was like, if you were in the boys, you would you'd love Homelander. You'd be a kind of Todd Flagshagger. Yeah, it's that same kind of guy, that small town, small mind type. Yeah, and because he's he's the captain of the basketball team. He can get the crowd riled and stuff like that. He's got that. Yeah, he is a leader. He's just a yeah. He's a leader for a bad cause. Yeah, he can give that inspiration because 
if you're talking about Stranger Things, it just helps to talk about things in D and D terms. Yeah. He's he's dishing out that inspiration left, right, and center, and people are just going, "Yeah, let's follow this clearly murderous man." <laughs> what well, I I think the uh, one of the other things that was good was the horror aspect when it came to Vecna. Uh, first of all, calling him Vecna based on a Dungeons Dragons character. Yep, um, that's pretty cool. One. Um, but you and I were you know, saying... like when you started calling him Vecna, I almost shot myself. Like, yeah. Oh, what the hell? <laughs> like, why they, they can't call him Vecna? Vecna's if because they, they usually have some kind of similarity to the D and D characters. Like the mind flayer can literally control the minds of people. Uh, uh, the demogorgon is a horrible, nasty-looking beast that you know uber strong. So it's kind of a bit more of a parallel there. But Vecna, he has got some whole other in- or dimensional set of powers that I'm quite glad they didn't really touch on in Stranger Things. But I always thought that Vecna was a creation of Matt Mercer from Critical Role, and I looked into it and I was like, ah, no, he just used Vecna again. Yeah. Vecna has been about since the. You know, 1980s. Vecna is one of the old gods. <laughs> yeah, he's not speak his name. Yeah, pretty much. In a certain canons of D&D, if you speak his name, you just, people with cloaks slit your throat. <laughs> I, I like just how far D&D goes sometimes, and you, you as a fan of it don't think of it as being too weird, and then you say it to a normal person, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, boy. <laughs> we shouldn't yeah, have trying to explain... That. Pacts and sorcerer skills and warlock skills to someone who's just not played D anD D is strange. Like, so they sell their soul to a demon and they get a cool sword and magic, but at the end of their lifespan, they don't go to the the good version of the afterlife. Are you sure the sword is worth it? <laughs> going to hell. It's a pretty badass sword, bro. Plus the eight damage. <laughs> yeah, plus you get cool, you know, beam powers that shoot out your hands. Don't worry, man. It's worth it. Totally worth it. Well, that's what I found interesting, because that's where you can see the kind of root of satanic panic, like, spawning. Like, this whole thing of, wait, you're selling your soul, your your immortal soul, to a demon for a sword that gives you just a little bit more damage. And that those kind of just statements out of context to a heavily, like, Christian rural America is like, what, what are these kids doing? Like, do, do we need to investigate? Do we need to get the posse together? Like, it's, there's only one way to end this, and it's with shotguns and American beer. Right, I'm going to say something strange, but I want you to stick with me. The person who helped me understand the satanic panic was actually Philly D. Right. And it was not It was not because he did a video. It was not because he did a video on the satanic panic. I don't think he's ever covered it, and if he has, I haven't watched uh, the video. Uh, he was talking about uh, how he spent... This was years ago. This was back when SourceFed was still open. He went through several days, several hours of painful dental surgery because he heard that a dental-based infection can go up through your sinuses and into your brain and kill you instantly. Turns out he didn't need the surgery, but he's glad that he got it anyway. That made me realise that Americans, if you tell them anything, they will fucking believe it. <laughs> oh, that's, that, was, that was a way more... Bro- I thought we were going with the kind of metaphor of, like, that's how it started. You start with a rumour and an allegation, and all of a sudden people take drastic precautions. <laughs> You're like, nah, Americans no. thick, bro. <laughs> Americans are fucking idiots. Uh, apologies to any of our fans in America, but I mean, if you're listening to this, chances are you're the smarter type of American. You you get the kind of the the, the humor and the and the <laughs> intelligence of the show, but some of you are fucking idiots, right? Uh, just speaking of uh, idiots, just the can, can we talk about just the way that all the like everyone just kind of plunges headlong into the the uh, the upside down knowing what's on the other side 
Like, yeah. a lot of the kids in there are just kind of like, we've been through this before, they've all had some kind of contact with demons or, like, creatures from the Upside Down. Yeah. And yet they're all like, hey, there's a chance we could have to go through a portal to that, and they're all like, oh, I guess we gotta go. <laughs> yeah, and yet again, the first, per- the last person to go through the portal is Eddie, because he's He's the same thing. He's the guy that's not been exposed to all this before, and he hears that there might be demons and shit down there. He just goes, "Should I think we should stay the fuck away from whatever this shit is?" But uh, it kind of it kicks off the, or it ends one of the arcs for Steve this season. It's him trying to prove himself that he's not just the babysitter, because he's the first one to go in. He gets you know dragged underneath the the water and through the portal. Yeah, he goes to investigate and like a tentacle and just appears like, oh no, oh no. Oh, <laughs> I seen, know where this is going. I've seen enough hentai to know where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> then but, you get characters like Dustin are just like, come on, we've got to go help them. Like, what are you going to do? You're 14. <laughs> That's uh, also something I noticed as well is the kids have aged a lot. I know it's been a while since the last season was made, but holy shit. Yeah. Mike and Will in particular, those are grown ass men. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, Mike in particular is a giant. Same with uh, Lucas. And I was actually reading uh, uh, someone someone was uh, boasting on Twitter saying, like, how can this guy, or someone was raging on Twitter saying, how can the guy that plays Steve Harrington play a 18-year-old character so well when he's in his 30s? Alright, maybe this is a trend, and it fucking is. Uh, the kid that plays Dustin, getting Matarazzo, he's 20. Uh, chick plays 11, she's 18, and they're all kind of like very early 20s, yet they're passing for 13, 14. Hmm. I mean, they are all quite baby-faced. Yeah. And I guess if you know you're playing that character for the next couple of years, you'll probably take steps to avoid, like, I don't know, like, aging yourself rapidly. Like, yeah. what's his name? Uh, Will's older brother. I keep forgetting who he is. Jonathan. Jonathan. That yeah. dude has looked old since day one. Yeah. And that I kind of get. Like, that's not a. They don't have like a great upbringing, really. <laughs> yeah. So, and yeah. the guy that plays Jonathan is a dad as well, so that shit that shit leads you. Yeah. That, he he's unfortunate, but in general, like that, the cast itself all stays pretty relatively young. But every now and again, like you, oh, puberty hit you like a fucking truck, son. Yeah. <laughs> it's. Uh, you see, like Lucas, Will, and uh, Mike all just easily a foot taller than everybody else. <laughs> I uh I like Lucas' storyline there. I, I thought he had a good year of just kind of he got into basketball just as like kind of like as a just as a thing because he was good at it, and then it just drags him away from his friends. I think that's a very interesting storyline that's kind of just there in the background for a lot of it. Doesn't really get addressed, but hmm. in the end, because they're still friends, it kind of doesn't really be an, it doesn't become an issue. But the fact yeah. that something like that sitting there is quite good. And uh, what was the other ones? Um, I actually like the Russia uh storyline. I thought that was quite yeah. good. Um, gave Hopper something to do because because this is like a kid's teenage drama, it's kind of like Goosebumps or like if, if Scooby-Doo was a couple of years younger, where it's just a bunch of idiots yeah. running around trying to figure out a mystery. Yeah. So when then you, you have cut that, to Russia and yeah. the Hopper's running around with a sword trying to cut off the head of a king demogorgon. <laughs> well, I mean, just if you have somebody taking all the adults out of the situation and like that, it's kind of silly and it can't happen again. Like we now that you know the cast are all back together at the end of season four, mm. it's that's going to be the way it sticks. But you now have to deal with the fact that there's an adult there with an adult brain and like problem solving skills and a fucking gun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> an armed trained man with a gun is there to solve problems and kick ass. 
you then don't have to worry like about threat levels or you have to raise threat levels to such a point where like having kids around is kind of dangerous um so yeah it's it's going to be interesting to see how the last or the fifth and final season plays out but having them off doing this weird side adventure but still having them contribute towards the end i thought was quite good yeah i don't think it's going to be the real challenge of the final season is going to give is going to be to have them all meet up again because they're all kind of colliding with each other again uh Mike and the California guys, they meet up with the rest of the people in Hawkins, the Russia gang kind of meet up. So everybody's under kind of one roof again. It's going to be interesting to see how they tackle just this many characters in a in a single season. Yeah. And I think you could do a good bit with the, the change they've all experienced over the last couple of yeah. years. But yeah, now that they're all back together, like you have no excuses. This is this is it. It's the band's all here. Yeah. Can't play some fucking music. Yeah, and it's inevitable we're going to get a few deaths next season. Yeah. And if one of them is Argyle, I'm going to kick the living shit out of both Sean Levy and the Duffer Brothers. <laughs> I was not that impressed by Argyle until he starts really kind of coming into his own later on. And he just happens to be like, he's so stoned, he just happens to sync up with the universe and find stuff out. And you're like, okay, I'll let this slide. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like those kind of dumb just kind of drift through life type of characters that easily he's so stoned that he sees things that other people forget <laughs> he's kind of hey look there's a fucking door over there and everyone thinks oh shut up dickhead you're just stoned there and it's like no no there's really a door over there then everyone goes oh shit yeah it's it's good comedic relief and it gives you a way out of certain scenarios if you're like how are they going to find this key like what if the stone guy just accidentally tries to eat it all right i guess yeah. it works <laughs> he just happens to be looking under stuff for things to eat <laughs> He happens to find yeah. a key. He's know. going full shaggy, just kind of going, oh, look, this, this chocolate key is like, no, it's a real key, damn it, stop trying to eat it. <laughs> Maybe put some ranch on it. No. <laughs> you, you can leave now. Give it back. <laughs> Give it back. Go stand in the corner, touch nothing, I fucking swear. <laughs> if your ass goes through a revolving door one more time, I'm going to beat you. <laughs> <laughs> he's the kind of guy that he's just, right, we're going through a, going into a place with a revolving door. Just go through once that's all you need <laughs> um other plot lines there was a thing i didn't list um i was wondering how subtle it was going to be because i did see there was a a thing on twitter about one of the characters coming out is kind of gay there was a confession scene between will and mike and will is very obviously like talking about something else when he's describing how important mike is to the group and i was like Huh, I wonder, like, because the article, the, or the, the Twitter thing was that the actor had come out to confirm that, yes, that is a confession scene of feelings and emotions for uh, Mike, or for Will, who is gay for Mike. But the, it's obviously, like, Will is too young to understand what he's really talking about, and he's struggling with the emotions on all the, the theory and all that, or, like, his idea of what love is. But I watched the scene, and I was like, who needed that clarified? That is the most obvious coming out scene I've ever fucking seen in my entire life. It was really well done, but at the same time, like, who needed that explained to them? You know, yeah. who's in the thick class for this one? Yeah, it wasn't obviously like beating them over the head with it. There wasn't that pride flag that dropped down and you know rainbow fireworks shooting off in the background. It was just, <laughs> it was a well done, it was a well done scene, and it was obvious. Like, okay, that's what they're hinting to. It's like when in Persona. Four, I think it is. There's a character just how he acts and stuff. He's like, yeah, 
you can pretty obviously tell that they are coded that way. And then there's theories on the internet and questions like forum posts just going, is this character Kane? Like, guys, you need to come on. And read. <laughs> guys, we can't continue to spell this out for you. Sometimes you just got to put on your big boy pants and, you know, come to, come to face these hard truths. You got to switch on the subtitles that it says he has the gay. You're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Just switch on the Netflix with the prime subtitles that you see. This is what this means. <laughs> subtitles for idiots. I love it. I love it. I'm making an idea. I'm making a note. Subtitles for idiots. That'd be yeah. fucking great. Uh, Context subtitles is the next big business idea. Well, actually, there was a, another thing I saw. It was that, um, and I noticed this as well. Is I, I sometimes have the uh, the subtitles on for shows I watch on Netflix, just because if I'm not really paying that much attention or I'm not really in the room. Seeing something written down will like make me pay more attention. So like seeing the constant like changing text keeps my attention focused on the TV because you know I watch too much media, so I'm constantly bored. And it's probably something I might need to stop doing. But I noticed that the the subtitles for Netflix for Stranger Things in particular are really good, especially yeah. if you've got like the kind of uh, audio closed captioning. Yeah, the audio descriptions are. Fucking amazing for Stranger Things because you'll get stuff like squelching ominously. It's yeah. just it's a slug or something. Yeah. Ominous squelching, I think it was one of them. Yeah, like just the, the fact that if you watched enough old subtitled media, it's just kind of all about just text and then like stuff like door closes. It's all just very yeah. kind of blunt. It's like stage directions or it's like uh, notes from uh, the script. And then when you get to Stranger Things, the, the number of adjectives that are used to help describe subtitled events, like, you know, ominous squelching you know you get that there's just an extra layer there that was a very nice touch uh, yeah I, I thought i thought that was funny <laughs> it was like unsettling music it's synth music wet slapping of feet like, oh <laughs> yeah bro put a pal put a towel down <laughs> um yeah i like that as well um oh also in regards to the the will thing um jonathan stepping up as a big brother yeah that was a fucking I am, there are so many bad Big Brother scenes where it's just like, the Big Brother just looks at the little one and goes, don't worry, I got this, and he runs off and dies. But yeah. the, the idea that you would just have a scene between two characters is like, hey, we're, we're still brothers, we're still buddies, like, I got you, and if you want to talk, I'm right here for you. I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Big Brother it, scenes it in TV. Fuck yes. It was pretty good. and My takeaway from it was, it was Jonathan kind of saying, I get we're in the middle of this eldritch horror bullshit, but that that stuff still matters, so talk to me if you feel like it. Yeah. And uh yeah, I, I like that. And actually Stranger Things does a really good job of I think we talked about this for season three. But unconventional or maybe not just like relationships that Hollywood doesn't normally show. Like um Steve and Robin. Hmm. The idea that like, yeah, he tried to hit on her, it didn't work out because it turns out she's gay. And then her him just being like, We're still buddies, alright. Yeah, and then that continuing buddy relationship is like every scene with Steve in it is better <laughs> than if he wasn't there. Like any other character in those scenes just doesn't work, but Steve's just kind of blind confidence and just kind of I'll just bullshit my way through this conversation attitude makes so many conversations great. Yeah, like, Steve's just shut up. I can do this now, <laughs> but like, dude, you really can't. <laughs> I know you seem confident, but nah. <laughs> yeah, like, I know you've got an illusion life and you're protecting your children, but. Sit down. Yeah. I I know that they're trying to move the character away from it, but Mama Mama Bird Steve um is just fucking great. 
yeah. <laughs> like him just trying to wrangle all the kids and you're like oh my god <laughs> yeah. if you have younger cousins you've been there it fucking sucks yeah. or if you've got nieces or nephews you know exactly what's happened yeah <laughs> um other than that i was a big fan of like the the severity of the massacre at hawkins lab holy shit people are just getting torn to pieces and just the the bodies lying around like we were talking about like a horror scene uh being included having something that's pretty much not so much about like terror and suspense but about just revealing raw gore and the violence that's been done to people and you didn't see it happen fucking terrifying yeah and it's the fact that you can tell that uh, number one or Henry, whatever you want to call him, it's just he's been planning this for a while. He's he's thought out every individual step of this, but he's because he's been nerfed by whatever implant or whatever the crap he had stuck in him, he couldn't really do it. But you can tell that every single moment, every single moment of pain that he's enacting here, he's thought about it for decades. Yeah, he's spent ages walking through the halls saying, okay, I'm going to go to that room first, then I'm going to go to this door, then this door, then these guards, then this door. And he'll, oh no, you've had a horrible thing planned in your head for years and now it's time to, it's go time today. I, I do like the idea as well that because of, you know, just the sheer trauma that Elle's gone through, she can't figure out if it was her that did it for a large part of the season. She thinks yeah. she did this. You know, oh. And nobody's really stopped to correct her, which is kind of like, Dr. Brenner's a really shitty person, but the character is interesting because it's mm. investigating that whole kind of uh, unethical science angle, which is pretty good for an 80s movie or like something set in the 80s because you have all these really weird experiments and really weird scientific ideas, especially about kids and mental development. Obviously not to do with superpowers, but when it comes to like kids' development, science in the 80s was fucking mental. Yeah. So having that character there to just kind of say, I will blanket greenlight any dumb idea for a science experiment involving kids, so long yeah. as it gives me psychic powers. Yeah, anything that can give me more of these walking atomic bombs, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll do it. And you kind of get the sense that he might have fed into that a little bit to make Eleven stronger. Because yeah. he, he knew what Eleven did, or he knew what Henry did, and mm -hmm. just kind of let this, let this continue. He probably could have said... Look, it wasn't your fault, but he just kept saying, you know, if you were stronger, you would have been able to control your powers and all that stuff, and that just, I think anyway, just pisses her off enough to try and, you know, build herself up and make herself stronger so she doesn't yeah. go, have to go through that again. My theory is that Dr. Brenner has basically known that he needed a weapon to take down Henry. Um, knowing that Henry was basically at some point going to break free, going to do something to um, unleash all of his powers, he was looking for something to take him down and that is Eleven. Yeah. That uh and now that's why he's working so hard. He's he's always going on about no we need to do this right. You need to be able to take down one in a single like fight. Because if he wins, you're gonna die. So he's always very cautious, he's always kinda of like, let's wait and see. Like he'd sacrifice the entire town of Hawkins to buy enough time to let Eleven fully train and recover her powers to fight uh one. Or fight yeah. Vecna. I did like the uh, the reveal, by the way, that Vecna was thrown into the, the kind of upside down and just found a normal world and then took it over. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting. Like, hmm, that's, that shows a certain type of person, in a way. Like, yeah. the idea to conquer over an entire, like, other universe just so you've had something to throw back at your enemies back home. I like the idea that, because usually getting this type of 
you know, film, TV show, series, you just get the idea that they were they were warped or maybe changed by the place that we're going to. You kind of get the sense in Stranger Things when Henry's thrown into the Upside Down, nothing changed about him. He just went, okay, there's new victims here and there's no one here to stop me. Yeah, I've got new things that I can use for my advantage because the whole segment with him and the Black Widows where he's walking, he's like in his house as a kid and he's just cultivating Black Widow spiders and he's got the crown over his hand. You're like, fuck that. (laughs) (laughs) I actively looked away when I seen those scenes. I'm like, nope. Those, I know they're digital. I know they're not real, but nope. (laughs) I ain't looking. Um, Oh, actually, speaking of digital uh, versus physical, I liked Vecna's suit for the most part. Yeah, that was badass. It was pretty cool. It was a good blend of physical and digital. I like the the movement, the kind of the pulsing, the twitching uh, bits that were on him, especially in the neck. You saw a lot of that kind of like that main vein up and down in the body in the neck. Yeah. I don't think they should have shown him walking in a full camera, <laughs> like a full body shot of him walking. Something about the way he walks, it becomes very obvious. It's a guy in a rubber suit, which at the same time I commend, but also you got to shoot that very carefully. <laughs> Which is odd, because it leads to one of my favourite scenes, and it's Vecna walking down the stairs. And it, we were talking about Halloween references in this, because uh, Vecna gets shot out a window and disappears. Yeah, Ooh. by my favourite character this season. Uh, I've just forgotten her name. Shit. Nancy. Nancy. <laughs> she's one of my favourites too. I think she's very good. Oh, um, no, she turns... She's slowly... She's gone through basically the kind of Claire Redfield transformation and I say that because if there's ever another Resident Evil film, if Nancy Wheeler isn't Claire Redfield, they're doing something wrong. There's so many cast members in Stranger Things that could just be Resident Evil characters. It's insane. But she goes through the kind of, you know, oh, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, just, you know, innocent high school, college uh, girl. And she just becomes Ripley from Aliens. Like, ready to kill a motherfucker. Yeah, there's not a scene of her holding a shotgun that I'm like, I don't believe you're holding that shotgun. Every time she clocks it, I'm like, oh fuck, she knows what she's doing. <laughs> Uh-oh, yep. she a country girl. <laughs> yeah, Dancy Wheeler ready to fuck them. That's why I got extremely worried. I'm like, oh crap, she's she's being caught by the Vagna thing. I swear to Christ, if you kill Eddie and her this season, I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> I, uh... Actually, think about like we 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 talk a lot about like cringy like uh, modern political things showing up in like old or older themed shows. The the fact that it's like I don't think um, Steve do- does anything to Vecna, and I didn't notice it. I didn't really care at all. Like it was just Robin's there with Molotovs, Nancy's there with a shotgun. They take him down. I guess Steve was there in case Vecna closed the gap. Hey. I don't think he puts a hand yeah. on. Uh, yeah, no, because he's got a baseball bat and shit on him, so I don't think he gets a... Yeah, he has, he has the axe. Steve doesn't yeah. really do anything in that. He helps, He helps like, he's the first one through to, like, try and navigate through the the uh, the, the field of, like, vines and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's Nancy and Robin take down Vecna. And it's not like a woo-yah feminist moment, it's just kind of like, it's a thing that happens in the show. Yeah. Get over it, you know? Yeah, it's more... It's not that Steve's like, oh, yeah, I can't do anything. Let's let these women do it. It's just that he has an axe in a gunfight. Yeah. <laughs> and he brought an axe against a monster who's about two feet taller than him and also is a giant fucking monster demon passion. Like, yeah, I wouldn't swing an axe yeah. at that unless I absolutely had to. With psychic powers as well, so <laughs> maybe burn them from a distance. Uh, what else was... Oh, no, did Steve not throw Molotovs as well? I think he... Maybe. 
think he might throw the first one or something like that. I could have sworn it was Robin though. I think he helps light Molotovs, but I don't know. Yeah, he has his lighter. Um, other than that, I think the only other big scene, uh, well, other than the last one I want to talk about, which we have to, like, I think we're legally obligated to talk about this one, but yeah. people talk about, like, uh, Eleven taking down Sullivan's, uh, or the just Sullivan's strike force going into the, the Nina base. Yeah. Which was, like, the actual precision of the drill of them marching down with the shields and, like, popping up to fire M16s and going back down. Mechanical and amazing. Yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> it was... It was the difference because I heard I heard a podcast complaining about why would one branch of the military fight another one? I'm like, I don't think Sullivan's in a main branch of the military. I think he's wearing an army uniform to explain who he is to other army people. I think he might be something else, like he's part of some CIA division. Where if yeah. somebody says you've got to go to the site, wipe it out, no survivors, burn the place to the ground, he goes yes, sir, and leaves. <laughs> he might have been in the military at one point. Oh yeah. He got promoted and it was highlighted for special divisions. And you're like, okay. <laughs> Salvin's he was a given scary a motherfucker. Check and just said, right, we need you to make a special division that deals with shit. <laughs> what type of shit, sir? You'll be told that on the mission briefing. <laughs> Until then, just train a bunch of guys. <laughs> we'll give you a free helicopter. Ooh. <laughs> a free helicopter, you say? Um, I'm in, damn it. The, the scene of L. People are saying, oh, I can't believe it took L so long to take down a helicopter. I'm like, she was sedated at that point. Like, she had just come out of being medically sedated <laughs> by force. I, like, I don't know if you've ever been, uh, you've ever come out of, like, uh, drugs for, like, surgery and stuff like that. It's fucking terrifying. You're not really awake. Like, your body starts moving and doing stuff, and it's why you see those videos of people, like, after dental surgery, and they're talking, they're just talking nonsense. Yeah, it's, you're conscious, but you're just waiting for everything else to come back online. You're just kind of... You know, give me a second here. The eyes are open and the brain is rebooting. But the mouth has been talking for twenty minutes, <laughs> and it's it's just one of the things of like people say, "Oh, L L's so weak she couldn't really take down a helicopter." Like L coming out of being massively drugged took down a helicopter within moments. That's powerful. And she had that weird power dart in her neck thing. See, so I thought that, that was just a shock collar. That thing that was around her neck. Uh, so yeah, the last scene I think we really need to talk about. The death of the one, the only, Eddie Munson. I saw yep. this hyped up a lot on uh, Twitter because it was uh, obviously fucking awesome moment. I think it's one of the best edited segments of television I've seen in ages. It is just all about a building climax of just a timer counting down, a soul intensifying, and then just imminent physical threat. Yeah. Even though it is one of the most overrated bands... I, I, it's no secret that I do not like Metallica. Even though I have to admit that Master Puppets is a fucking masterpiece, right? And having your new character that's kind of getting into, you know, getting into his role, having him shred out a fucking solo where all these death bats come charging at him and a big kind of distraction, pretty fucking awesome. I'm just setting up so that, like, this is this is not really an unnecessary sacrifice, but they've been told, hey, you don't have to play the hero. And it's like, no, 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 I'm a finished soul. <laughs> yeah. I, I will not let this go undone. And he just kind of keeps firing away. And having it being just a deliberately, like, it's like studio engineered to be hype as fuck. But having it come yeah. off as being as good as it is, is unreal. I, I really, I like the fact that heavy metal, it, people, um, if people find out about heavy metal and Metallica and stuff like this from Stranger Things, Fucking awesome. Yeah, if, if there's more metalheads coming up, you know, 
there was a bit of place for them. Give them some records, right? Don't. Yeah, some new metalheads don't come up. Don't be a gatekeeper. Just be like, awesome. If you like Metallica, try Megadeth. If you like Megadeth, try these bands. <laughs> if you like Megadeth, try something that's actually good. <laughs> How fucking dare you, sir? Get kids in the door with stuff like Stranger Things, Metallica, whatever, and I'm like, hey, want to hear some really cool stuff? And then play them the weird shit. Give them the, like, there's so much new metal coming out. I found, uh, I think there was a Taiwanese metal like folk metal band the other day i was like what the fuck is this this is awesome like <laughs> give them like open the door and just say go for it it's gonna be a lot of fun you're gonna find some weird shit you're gonna find some stuff you like but at the same time just go explore and have fun in a whole new genre of music that's totally different from anything you've ever read i like that i like the fact that uh stranger things kind of hyped up two songs uh throughout season four that is the kate bush song uh, running up that hill. Yeah, which is uh, now playing constantly on the UK radio. You have like two more weeks of this, guys, and I'm going to start complaining. Yeah, you've had your fun. <laughs> Just move on. But pretty good tune. Like it. Not bad. Not going to listen to it for the rest tune, of my life. But, uh, aye, not a bad tune, but uh, it is making people go back and look at Kate Bush's back catalogue and other 80s music. But because of Metallica being in there, people are going, oh, okay, maybe metal is cool. You just see, you know, all the older brothers and you know, older parents of children nowadays just going, Yes, Metallica is cool. Your dad isn't boring. Listen to metal. <laughs> and all the record, the vinyl player comes out in this stack of old metal vinyls. Like, you're going to get an education, child. <laughs> child, it's time for you to sit down and have a beer and learn about some real music. <laughs> I... Today, child, we go to Sweden for death metal. <laughs> Behold, the Gothenburg sound. <laughs> <laughs> This this band is called In Flames. You will learn to love them if you want to stay in this house. Although, if you wrote an article saying about how Stranger Things made heavy metal cool again, put your dad's fucking Iron Maiden t-shirt back in the drawer, right? Yeah. Fuck you, you piece of, Like, we don't need that around. Like, we'll take all the newcomers, like, come in, take check out the concerts, come to the shows, buy the merch, buy the albums, check out metal. It's fucking awesome. We don't need pop journalists Showing up, all right. You can fuck off. All I've right. Seen... I thought you were saying that like, leave your dad's old ass Iron Maiden T-shirt out there <laughs> where it is. We don't need. We don't need more of those kicking around. No, no. I, I think you just don't like Iron Maiden. <laughs> I, I'm not that. I'm not that familiar with Iron Maiden. My dad listens to them a lot, and he has them on from yeah. time to time. But I, I just, I don't want the pop journalists showing up. I've seen what they do to everything else. I don't need that bullshit in the heavy metal community. It's just fucking garbage. It's just yeah. words spammed at the internet because no one's having to pay for ink. Yeah. It's it's kind of something that's happening a lot in uh, video games nowadays. You get people saying, uh, prime example, a big game that just came out uh, of the past week, maybe two weeks, uh, Stray, the game where you literally play as a cat. I actually people... bought that and I'm looking forward to it. I've not played it yet. It yeah, looks weird. It looks just looks like a really, really 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 good really relaxing game which is a weird thing to me as someone who always plays quite over the top hype games playing a game to relax has always been a bit of a strange sentence to me a uh, strange thing to me yeah. ah, stranger things but uh, hey. <laughs> oh i brought it back we did it but, it, uh, it took 40 minutes uh, kids but we did it <laughs> yeah we got it <laughs> but uh, just that, that kind of pop journalism style there's people it's taking things that you enjoy and just trying to not show you a different side, but because they don't have to pay anyone to put up the, their articles anymore, they can just post them anywhere. You get you're getting the rise of articles that are taking the piss out of things that you that are universally loved, like Stray, 
the one that I read that was on Kotaku, it was, I'm sorry, your weird little cat game isn't as fun as you think it is. And I'm like, you got paid to write that, and then you got paid to post it on a website, and all you're doing is shitting on things. Kotaku, for the last couple of years, has just been weird. It, it honestly has been complete nonsense from like the last five years or so. I think at some point they just went mental and decided yeah. to post whatever nonsense they could think up. But yeah, it's... Um, They've been doing that kind of, you know, BuzzFeed-style pop journalist bullshit where it's just, oh, you like this? Well, here's why it's a pile of shit. Well, <laughs> can't people just fucking like things? Do you Are you having fun? Everyone? Not on my watch. <laughs> people being happy and accepting other people's choices? Fuck that. <laughs> Everything you love is garbage. 300 words. Five-minute read time. Yeah. <laughs> and you see it all over YouTube as well. You're, uh, I'm currently playing uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 on the Switch. And I... Uh, did a quick YouTube on it, see if there's any reviews out there from people that I know that might be worth checking out. And it's all just here's why your little or here's why Xenoblade Chronicles three and this is you know the worst in the series. Then you scroll down and it's like here's why Xenoblade Chronicles as a series is a pile of shit. And you just okay, click on one, and within five minutes, like I should, I should warn you, I've never played more than five minutes of a Xenoblade game. And like, well, that's just fucking invalidated this whole video. <laughs> why are you giving opinions on it? Like you know shit. What the fuck? Yeah, like, if you don't know anything, especially if you've only played five minutes of a 200-hour RPG, no, do the legwork, fucker. <laughs> but I can't, I don't I don't have the time, I have so many articles. Join, do better journalism, join a better company, tell yeah. this pop journalist shit to shove it. Yeah, yeah it, it, I mean, you must have seen no end of this bullshit during the, uh, during Elden Ring's uh, release. I, I gotta be honest, I am such a FromSoft fanboy, I didn't really read up on much to do with Elden Ring. I wasn't looking for opinions, I knew I was going to love it, I just walked. So I managed to skip all because I knew... I'm not saying you were looking for uh, reviews, just the people that might have been brought to your attention of someone going, Elden Ring's too hard and that's why it should be changed. I no. did find a few videos like that and I find them hilarious because it's normally a video made by an Elden Ring fan who's explaining quite calmly, this is why you're wrong, this is what you should try, this is if you yeah. wanted help. Reach out to the community. We would have helped you anyway. It's what the the FromSoft community does best is picking each other up and dragging each other through these fucking games. Yeah, and it's it's just a whole thing is missed because oh, I was I felt harassed and bullied because this person kept spawning in my game and killing me. It's like yeah, he's kind of an ass, but he killed spawned and killed everyone else. So <laughs> yeah. he was making a YouTube compilation video. Sorry, you're part of it. Stop crying. Yeah. Get over it. Take the exposure and fucking get on with it. Yeah. <laughs> I just like, remember the, the old thing of like, uh, there was a whole period in time, and it probably still is going on, where people would refuse to pay artists for their art for YouTube videos, and they'd be like, I'll, I'll get you back in the exposure, bro, I'll tag you and everything. <laughs> I'm getting murdered for the exposure. <laughs> just getting fireballs cast at you for the exposure. <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah that, was, that was a weird time in YouTube. It's uh, I hope it's gone. I, I don't know. I don't really follow that much in the, the wake of YouTube drama. It's mostly nonsense anyway. Yeah. But at one point, we were talking Stranger Things. Um, yeah. so, but we got distracted by pop journalism. So, yeah. I think that might be the point of pop journalism, I think, just to distract you. Yeah, just to distract you and make you make you question things that you loved. But I like Xenoblade, so that must mean I'm a piece of shit. Oh. I'm a piece of shit. Dom, uh, I hate to tell you that means you're racist. Uh, you have to just leave. Oh, I'd like to apologise for uh, platforming a racist for the past forty-five minutes, uh, and for the. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want to be racist, man. 
I don't want to be racist, but Xenoblade's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, I've played four of the games at this point. Spent a lot of money on those things. Fuck it, I'll be racist as long as I get more Xenoblade. <laughs> Dom finally comes out as a proud racist because he likes a video game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, if I if, who's at the... Uh, I was talking to a friend recently about Berserk. And yes. it, most, in fact, I'd say everybody that I know, with a couple of exceptions, those that people haven't seen it or not really interested in it, most of the people that I know like Berserk or like something attached to Berserk. I was talking to a friend about it uh, uh, before Pathfinder. We were just kind of uh, in a shop getting some stuff. And uh, there was a person behind us in a Naruto hoodie who called me a, what was that? A woman-hating pig because I like Berserk. And it asked me if I'd even read more than a single chapter, a single page of it, because it's all just woman hating bullshit. And I just asked, have you ever read Berserk before? Because <laughs> that's not what any of it is. No, I have the first sure that's in there, but there's it's not just for shock value. I wouldn't say there's any deliberate like bad things happen to everyone in Berserk. There's a lot of stuff that happens to female characters that happens to female characters on all media. I wouldn't say anybody goes like it's not like the the author is going out of his way to be like yeah. the guys are out having a beer, Cask is over here getting you know R worded. Uh, it's not like that. It it's more like this is a shitty place where people go through horrible things and try to survive as best they can. Yeah, and it's not just certain people go through shitty things; it's everyone goes through shitty things. But yeah, I'd recommend Stranger Things. Yeah, I wholeheartedly <laughs> recommend Stranger Things. <laughs> It's not just a weird horror show. There's a lot more to it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I'd say it's doing a lot well for like uh, weird relationships and dynamics that we don't really see. I hope it kind of, what's well, it? I hope it normalizes stuff like this. Like, I hope we just get people who are used to writing characters like these because these are these are better than average, like way better than average. And uh, I think if we talk about our the next show that's inevitably going to be discussed, I think we'll find the contrast quite illuminating. Will we, Dom? Yeah, let, let's talk about something about. But bit more neutral before that. Obviously, you've been you you recommend shows to people. Have you recommended Stranger Things to many people at your work and stuff like that? Um, I have been talking about Stranger Things with people from work for a while. Um, yeah. it's it's up there where people are like, oh, I know about that Stranger Things th- uh, show, and there's only a few people in the, the lab who aren't watching it because they just watch these mono like this isn't for me. Um, and then there's a lot of people who are like. You don't expect them to be into a, a nerdy, geeky show about, you know, aliens from the 80s or, like, demons and aliens from the 80s or whatever you want to call it. Like, it is it is a weird show on paper, but at the same time, because it's such a, a thriller and has such a big impact, I think it, it breaks down a lot of barriers between people. So, yeah, I, I get a lot of Stranger Things conversations um, at work, but because I was so late in seeing it, um, I was, like, two weeks behind watching Stranger Things, probably why the episode's so late. But having, uh, like, actually, when you're you're done with it, you get to be, be part of the conversation. It's quite a lot of fun. Yeah. For me, it's, it's mainly, I tell people to watch Stranger Things, it's, and most of them, with the exception of people that I know that watch, you know, internet-based stuff weekly, I just usually get, oh, yeah, I watched season one of Stranger Things, and I, just, I never went back and, dude, go back and watch the rest of it. You will not regret it. And that's ha- that happens across the board. Most of the people I went to uni with, I still talk to on WhatsApp and things. Uh, they're just, they randomly post up like, oh, I'm bored waiting on my traineeship to start. Anybody got anything good to watch? Watch Stranger Things. Like, oh yeah, I watched a couple of episodes of season one. It was really good. And like, finish it, fucker. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, we finally, like, 
after we did our uh, episode on the boys, my brothers final or one of the brothers finally finished it, and the second he finished it, he was like, like "Yes, we got another one." <laughs> I uh, well, people should watch uh, Stranger Things, and everyone should watch the boys, which I can't say for definite about our next series that we'll talk about. <laughs> the the, the fade off there. I have to boost you. Can you say that again, please? Fuck. The, the we spoke about Stranger Things, and it's you know it's positive. It's good. Stranger Things is a really good show. Can't say the same about our next series that we're going to talk about. I don't really want to talk about it because I don't have much positive to say. But <laughs> fuck it, we're going to talk about it anyway. Yeah, I just I figured we should just have it out there just so we can say we we've both seen Resident Evil, uh, the Netflix adaptation of whatever the fuck that was. Um, not a fan. The show's kind of got bad, bad writing issues. <laughs> um, I, I think the key example I point to is during a stealth scene, uh, where they're trying to hide from cameras. Two characters duck behind a pane of glass. Yeah, that um that that shows you the level of problem solving we're dealing with here. <laughs> yeah, you think at that point it's just oh they're only children. It, it doesn't make it any better. But, you know, exceptionally smart children. The, the, the show takes a lot of steps to make sure that you know that they're exceptionally smart children. And, uh, yeah, I, I spent ages... My brother watched it and he was saying that he, he really enjoyed it. And I said, okay, well, he really enjoyed it. You really didn't like it. For, like, it wasn't even that you're picking up on, like, Resident Evil things, because you're the Resident Evil fan. The Resident, yeah. Resident Evil fan. And it, you were just saying, this show is dumb. I went, Okay, interesting. What's going yeah. on here? <laughs> it's, right, I'll, I'll preface it by saying that Resident Evil has always been quite cheesy. Right, it's always been a bit kind of. It's been silly. It doesn't take itself. Yeah, it's been silly. It doesn't take itself completely seriously in all aspects. You know, when it's when you're fighting monsters and you're looking through labs and things, it takes itself a bit seriously. But when the dialogue itself has always been a wee bit cheesy. Like, for example, Resident Evil One, uh, there's a a puzzle. Or there's a trap room where if you take the shotgun, uh, the roof starts uh, sort of closing down on you. Uh, so to solve the puzzle, you have to go and get the a broken shotgun and replace it. Get a sort of exact weight, exact height type of thing to replace it with. If you're playing as Chris anyway, or if you're playing as Jill, you can just wait for Barry to come and save you. Uh, Barry shoots the lock on the door and then you run out. Which I don't get why Jill couldn't just shoot the lock as well. She has guns, doesn't fucking matter. But uh, <laughs> Barry pulls you out of the room and says, a couple seconds later, you would have fit nicely into a Jill sandwich. <laughs> I was going to say, the... I was going to throw the Jill sandwich line out there, but knowing the full context of it, that line just came a bit 20 times dumber. <laughs> yeah, that is the that is the Jill sandwich uh, line. That's the kind of level of cheesy dialogue we're talking about. So Resident Evil on Netflix didn't have to take itself that seriously. It had to take certain aspects of itself seriously, but it didn't have to be, you know, uber serious all the time but Netflix and Resident or Netflix's Resident Evil or the NRE as people are calling it tries to take itself very seriously and suffers heavily for it, it with, especially with Wesker who's Albert Wesker who's the main character every interaction with him is just very very serious his, his scenes of Lance Reddick is carrying this fucking show Oh yeah, all three Lance Reddicks are carrying this goddamn show. Uh, Spoilers and, for Resident Evil, but you shouldn't watch it. No, no, you, you shouldn't watch it. But, you're you're right, better I than that. I will say this: it doesn't do anything right. I'll say 
but it doesn't get anything completely fucking wrong. It doesn't get anything completely utterly 100% wrong. It's shot well. Some of the scenes look good. Some of the monsters look good. Uh, like some of the uh, the monsters I'm talking about, the Resident Evil reference monsters, they look they do look kind of good. Uh, the zombies do look kind of stupid. They just look like uh, humans covered in pancake batter yeah. with bubbles all over them. They don't look great. The tyrant just looks like someone who's a bit taller, a bit skinnier, and he has weird witch nails on one of his hands. It was a tyrant? That does. Yeah, that was a tyrant. I did not see the that. Tyrant, the tyrant that's meant to be this eight-foot-tall juggernaut of death with a man, massive exposed lung and, you know, machetes for fingers. It's just a guy, a six-foot-tall guy with a exposed bone on his uh, left hand. I'm looking up for it just now, and it's showing me Resident Evil Infinite Darkness, so that's not great. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't see anything on there from the Resident Evil stuff. Um, or for the, the Netflix series. Um, oh, was that the guy who was in the tank? Yeah, that was the guy in the tank. Oh, okay. Um, hmm, interesting. I didn't realise that that was the tyrant at all. Because um, obviously that I expected... Was a was tyrant. Like, oh. I think it was meant to be the tyrant from Resident Evil 1, the game. Or at least allude to him, but given how far after the games this took place, he wouldn't even still be alive. That tyrant would have been blown up by Chris and Joe. Because the weird thing that this game, this uh, film does, is that it takes place after the games. So all the games and shit have happened, they're canon in the universe, but it takes a kind of weird alternate path. So in this universe, you still had the Arclay Mansion incident, which they referenced. Uh, Albert Wesker's lab is in the Arclay Mountains. And you find Bert, Albert, and Bert, uh, no, Bert, Albert, and Al, along with yeah. Blade Wesker, or Wesker Prime, as I call him. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, clearly reference... the one in charge. Yeah, the Wesker that's in charge. And it just looks so bad to me. The The Midnight costume on Lance Reddick, it just looks weird. <laughs> it's... um. I just, you say it does nothing horribly wrong. My initial, like, the thing that kind of pissed me off was the um, the, the break-in scene into one of the labs. The yeah, idea that, that, that far too easy. The, the idea that, like, two kids can sneak in with an MP3 of their dad saying, hello, it's me, you know, <laughs> and that that would be enough to get past the security systems of a, like, multinational, like, virus lab, um owned by one of the world's biggest corporations, and the idea that there's no staff on site at all overnight for a facility like that. I think that might be illegal, but okay. What I will say is that is technically um, a game reference. Really? In Resident Evil 3 Remake, you when you're playing as Carlos going through the hospital, trying to get the vaccine for Jill, uh, you take a recording of a doctor that used to work for Umbrella and you know, sample it through a tape recorder and play it through a speaker, and that's how you get into his office. So, <laughs> okay, I think like, have... the empty facility. I was like, that was like that seems like I thought it was a cheap kind of thing. I was like, okay, how do we not pay for extras on this show? <laughs> no, that was a that was kind of a game reference, but wasn't well done. I'd say mm. that, and obviously, I joked about the the, the scene of them uh, crawling through the house. I also thought the um, there's a weird meeting zombie they show in the the footage from I want to say Raccoon City 
mm-hmm. when they show like Wesker Prime going through and uh, dealing with various zombies as part of the team. Um, I don't think it's a stars team. I think it's just like an umbrella private military team that yeah. is leading through the ruins, and they they find this weird zombie that looks like a mushroom. It's all yeah, covered in like a mushroom. Yeah, it's it's all like the the small film, like the small grainy film footage, which looks actually really good. I thought. That oh good. no, that is uh, Lisa Trevor, and she's from the games as well. Right, because they I basically saw that. hit her with an early version of the T virus, and it makes her invincible. So hmm. they just think, well, what else can we test on her? And they just test all manner of shit. Well, I, I like that. I like that shot. Um, but just seeing that weird face, like the weird makeup, to have, like pancake batter and weird glowing hmm. eyes, like, yeah, that's a good Yeah. And the weird thing is, that's actually better looking than the one they have in Welcome to Raccoon City. Because <laughs> this... the one in Welcome to, Raccoon, Welcome to Raccoon City just looks like they put a very obvious mask on a random woman <laughs> and told her a hunch. Welcome to Raccoon City is now, I've heard of it named to you in a couple different podcasts, like three or four times, and no one has anything good to say about it, and now I'm morbidly curious. Well, so was I. It is awful. It is absolutely awful. Uh, Leon is the comic relief, which I don't agree with that. Uh, Chris and Claire Redfield are the only two people that can do anything. Uh, Wesker is some kind of bumbling idiot. Uh, I don't know if you've played Resident Evil 2, but there's a character in there called uh, Brian Irons, who's the police chief. And he's just some kind of, well, what are you going to do? Kind of shrug his shoulders type character. Ah, zombies invading, we're all dead. What are you going to do? Yeah. Ah, who cares? I'm just going to, I'm taking off home. This doesn't concern me. (laughs) I'm taking my retirement early. No. Yeah. (laughs) Buddy, it is not the time for that. Grab a gun, shoot something. (laughs) You're a cop. It's what you do. Yeah, and in Welcome to Raccoon City, there's no reference to stars. There's no reference to uh, Umbrella, really. There's uh, a lot of Umbrella symbolism, but they never really ex- expressly point to Umbrella. Uh, I mean, maybe they, maybe they did. They just blocked it all out. Uh, <laughs> the zombies look crappy. Uh, they introduce William Burkin, who's the main the main antagonist from Resident Evil Two, and he just looks like. Well, for most of his mutation, he just was like a regular guy with a weird prosthetic. Then when he mutates, he looks like a bag of worms with a face. Uh, yeah, it's it's not been a... I suppose I can put a point on this by saying it's not been a good year or a couple of years for Resident Evil adaptations because Infinite Darkness wasn't good. Uh, Welcome to Raccoon City was terrible. And Resident Evil was just kind of meh. It wasn't totally awful, but it wasn't great either. It flashing between young and old Billy and Jade didn't help it because you go from this weird high school twee drama where they're, they're worried about you know people liking them people fitting in they've had to move schools and stuff like that and you know then billy's billy's a bit weird and she keeps getting bullied and stuff and jade's an asshole like young jade is a complete asshole yeah uh, then it flashes to the future where older jade who is still some kind of scientist trying to find a cure uh, is working with a group called the University who are not in the games. This is some new bullshit invention is being chased by Umbrella and their new uh, their new Ninja Turtle version of the United or uh, the United the Umbrella Security Service. Which like go back to the the biker helmets and the gas masks. They at least look cool. They don't look like weird Doctor Who villains. Yeah, I I also looked at those. And was like it looks like ODSTs from the Halo franchise, just without. Why why did they not have gloves? That's what I know. They, they operate guns, but I would make yep. guns without like finger guards, so they could have 
like gloves to avoid being yeah, or have extended uh, trigger guards so yeah. they could fit the glove finger. Yeah, it didn't stop the UBCS Umbrella Biohazard Countermeasure Service, and they were led by you know dudes with the gas masks and leather gloves on. Yeah, I, I just they didn't anything. have weird techno rifles. It so it so stands out that it, like it's like a fully armored guy ready to kick ass, take names, also has tiny hands. What? What are we doing here? He's not even the worst member of uh, Umbrella. That guy that's wanting to get back to his fucking Pomeranians that turns out to be a licensed badass. Oh, that guy. Just, uh, what is his fucking name? uh, Higgins or Miller or something like that. McFuckface. Um, Yeah, Ballbag McBallstein. Yeah. Um, Not a fan of that guy. He could just fuck off. Uh, most of the cast are. Um, uh, I have Richard Baxter down as a name. No, that, that's the name of the character. Oh, Baxter. Yeah, yeah that, Baxter sounds about right. Just, just no. <laughs> yeah. uh, you can have him be the fat comedic relief, or you can have him be an action star. He can't do both. He's not convincing at both. And one thing you talked about there that I wrote bringing back is they keep splitting between timelines, and this is supposed yeah. to be a big reveal of oh, it turns out that you know. Uh, these characters are this character and this is what's going on and this is how it ties into the future. I would much rather they take all the stuff from early on, put that as like the first half of the show and you have them like growing up as kids and discovering the, the mystery of what dad does. End that very quickly and then jump to the future stuff. I think that would have been a lot better show. And then you can kind of come back for a couple bits and pieces of flashback to show what happened towards the end. But other than that, like it should have been two separate bits because... The show never, like, almost never builds tension in any way that matters whatsoever. No, and it uh, it also doesn't do a good job of solidifying its game references because it has it has Chainsaw Man, yeah, <laughs> who shows up for five minutes because ooh, I'm scary Chainsaw Man is eaten immediately. It's not even it's not even that. It's just that he shows up, kills one person, not even a zombie, not even a protagonist says the word another then fucks off in resident evil 4 the chainsaw man is a guy is is uh, original name is just chainsaw man but in translations his name is a uh, shouldn't it be dr salvador right. and there's other chainsaw people called the bella sisters you know two women with chainsaws huh. they're genuinely threatening enemies when they show up you realize oh shit uh, all i have is a shotgun and a pistol and i'm low on ammo and both how the fuck am i going to fight this thing and they can one hit kill you. They are a genuine threat. There was nothing, and I mean nothing fucking threatening about the Chainsaw Man from Netflix, from NRE. It just looked like a dude with a fucking burlap bag on his head. It was <laughs> absolutely bollocks. And quite frankly, the only video game related reference that I did kind of like was the liquor, because the liquor looked and sounded like they do in RE2. But yeah. it's dealt with so fucking quickly. You're like, oh, Rich, is that all we're getting? It's like a brief cameo and an episode that also happens to have a spider in it, so everyone freaks out about the spider and nobody pays attention to the, the like, pack of liquors. Like, uh, it's just how... one liquor. Is it just one? Interesting. I thought it was more than one. No, it's, it's literally just one that shows up. Hmm. It shows up to uh, scare the shit out of Jade and then it just fucks off. Hmm. Well, that's true. Because <laughs> I, I was under the pressure, like, I like the idea that um, the certain type of zombies, like, especially the special ones, have certain traits, and the idea of the, the liquors being ambush predators, like, a pack of them would wait in a tunnel. And then just, like, when someone walks by, just bang! 
<laughs> oh, the liquors are like sort of solitary hunters. Ah, right. They they they're introduced as kind of almost mini tyrants because they're very strong, very fast. They're kind of weak in the sense because they're basically just humans, like stretched and extended. But their you know their speed and uh, strength is heightened beyond belief. But you can take them out pretty easily mm. if you you know a few well placed shotgun shells. But yeah, the f- one showing up to against Jade, you're thinking, all right, this is going to be she's going to. Lean into the fact that they can't hear very well. She's going to be quiet and she's going to work with. No, she tries to shoot it immediately. Was, Motherfucker, did you guys play any fucking games? <laughs> oh, and there's so many times I said, like, Have yeah. you guys played any of the games watching this series? I wonder if it's just about like them not understanding a basic horror trope of like, hey, when something isn't like actively like running after you, you just don't make noise. You don't draw attention, yeah. you just kind of try to move away quietly. Uh, other than that, I just I just wanted to bring up the show because I, I think it's very good. I think it's unreal that this is um, the, the new big hit Resident Evil that is just going to be prayed out. It's been like, oh, this is the new great video game adaptation. I'm like, There's like two good actors in it and the rest of it is pretty... There's not even that many big action scenes. And no, even, if, even if there it- are, they're bad. Yeah, there's a surprising lack of action scenes. The one big action scene we got is, uh, what's his name? Did you say it was Baxter? Was his name? Uh, Baxter, yeah. Richard Baxter. He he gets the biggest action scene, and it's him just cutting through, uh, shooting and stabbing and, you know, dancing his way through the zombies in France. And then the next biggest action scene after that is when they release the, the alligator. Actually, I was going to say before that the the drone shots of the shots of like the horde coming over the mountain are pretty funny. But then, see if you look at the shots of like the wide establishing shots, and then where the zombies are actually coming from in relation to characters, they don't match at all. Um, yeah. There's there's a shot where they, they took a couple people are fleeing from the the zombie attack onto the boat for the institution, and the zombies are being drawn to a, a pheromone that's been developed in the lab. They are running past the humans because they're more attracted by the pheromone, which is like, okay, that's fine. Um, it's part of this world's canon. It, whatever. Don't care. Um, yeah. It's been drawn towards the central characters of uh, Billy and uh, Billy, Jade, and then Evelyn Marcus, who now is a robot, I guess, or is a cyborg of some kind. She has some weird bullshit going on in her head. Yeah. Um, but they have that several like core cast of people like just mowing down zombies with a, a team of uh, the U.S. Uh, the U.S.S. guys, the Umbrella yeah. Secret Service, and yeah. those guys get ripped apart pretty easily. But because Evelyn Marcus, oh no, because uh, Billy has uh, Billy Wesker has drones, she can wipe them all out. And like, why do you just have three? Get ten of these, fire your fucking security team, <laughs> and just walk around with drones all day. What the fuck is this? Hire more drone yeah. chargers. That's all you really need. Fuck, I, yeah, I just remembered one part of the series that I wanted to talk about because it pissed me off more than anything. Well, really quick, just uh, during that scene, which they're sorry. having drone attacks, there is the yeah. worst group like fall I've ever seen in my entire life. Watch the drone attack, and then there's like a wide shot where they just show a group of zombies all fall to their knees and then forward on the ground at the same time. And, and but the drones in the video are strafing them, so they're going from like one end to the other. Why didn't they stagger it? What? Why does everyone fall at the exact same time? It's fucking bullshit. They're firing machine guns. It should start at the front. First person, first row of people fall. Then the next row fall like like a half second after them, 
and you kind of feel like a domino effect of them all falling. But if you watch it, they all fall to their knees and then on their face at the exact same time. I thought I was tripping when I saw it. I went back and rewatched it. <laughs> like, this is crap. <laughs> Whoever did this, do it again. In fact, that's for so much of the series. I'd say go back and do it again because just I had to bring up a list of Easter eggs just because I wanted them to, you know, be fresh in my head here. But you can throw in as many references to the Gravedigger from RE3. It doesn't even look like the Gravedigger from RE3. It just like a big caterpillar. You can yeah. throw in as many typewriters, as many uh, triple barrel shotguns as you want. If the story itself isn't good and you're trying to prop it up on these references, and if one of those references is a piece of shit character that you don't fucking like, say one of the most iconic lines from the series, you're fucking doing something wrong. Because uh, the Baxter guy when he's in prison with Jade says, oh, you can just call me the master of unlocking. At that point, I almost switched it off. <laughs> don't you fucking dare stand where she stood. How dare you? The triple barrel shotgun was the only thing I thought was handled right. Where it's just kind of like, it hey... Was, it was I, too weak. You didn't hold it right. Well, it's more to do with just the fact that there was just a guy holding a triple barrel shotgun, and nobody talks about it. It's just a thing he has. It's a bit flashy. It's a bit silly. But nobody, like, brings it up. It's just kind of there. That was the yeah. best they could do. Yeah, for me, if you're going to do that, it needs to be wielded by we well, a, a Albert Wesker or Chris Redfield, and they need to hold it like they would just a pistol one-handed and just looking badass as they're shooting. And it needs to destroy everything in its path. So it's, it's probably unfilmable if you want to do that right. <laughs> I don't know. I think you get the right VFX budget in there and you just remove the top of half a bunch of zombies and then have them all fall down. That'd work. Yeah. I, uh, I'd say good scene, though. If I'm going to say something nice, and I should say something nice, zombie in the bathroom. It's a bit silly that she's wearing cardboard armour <laughs> when she's a yeah. trained... Like, she knows what zombies can do. It's a bit silly, but at the same time, like, okay, just let it pass. It's just there for a bit of kind of com comedic relief. That was for me, it was The annoyance of that scene came from the fact that they alluded to Barry Burton and just did nothing with it. Yeah. I was like, are they going to have Barry in this? Is, is he going to be the kind of old wizen guy that's saying, I remember Raccoon City. You know, if you need me back in the fight, I'll join the fighters. Okay, cool. No, he's just some old guy. Just some guy. Fucking bathtub. Yeah. I, I'd say that scene, like, for all the good side of that that Jade has with that scene, where it's kind of funny and kind of silly and a bit, it feel, felt a bit kind of like Shaun the Dead. But then mm. to have Richard Baxter go in afterwards and just have it be the worst scene ever. Like, that old woman being like, no, don't look, like, she's constantly glancing at the bathroom and being like, don't look at the bathroom. You can't use the bathroom. No, don't ask me to use the bathroom. I can't let you do that. And for him to just be like, mm-hmm. <laughs> As if he's... Yeah. He's supposed to be like an investigator for Umbrella yeah. to hunt down leads. Um, I'm sorry, you do that. You are immediately in handcuffs. I'm going into your bathroom. What the fuck have you done? Yeah. Just, uh, I mean, it would have been weirder if you just went, yeah, sure, I'll leave it and walked away. You're meant to be an Umbrella intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... I, I get... You're badging your gun, so you're clearly failing at your job. So yeah, I mean, I'd say cool concepts, like some, some good ideas, like I like the fact that there are zombie uh, exclusion zones and there are different areas where it's kind of become a warlord situation of like, this group, this uh, conglomerate controls this part of the world, and then this part, because there's just a map uh, earlier on in the show where they just show you like, this part's under control of the Umbrella Corporation, and there's like a group in Africa, and then the, you, like Europe's just fucked. <laughs> yeah. 
and then like there's a group in China and then like there's other a couple bits and pieces in America where it's like okay this is a this is an available state like this is a survivable group of people everything else is just I'm like that's cool I like that idea it'd be it's a bit too Mad Max like the idea that like everything just went straight to Mad Maxville within ten years yeah. of the zombie apocalypse for me that that was actually a massive problem in the series it's so it was also the same problem for. The Paul W. S. Anderson Resident Evils, they went straight to post apocalypse. Yeah. Now the whole point of the Resident Evil series is these things keep happening, but there's a team of experienced people with a government willing to help them that quell these uprisings, that quell these outbreaks. The fact that these people have just been, ah fuck it. We stopped it so many times, let's just let it happen. Yeah. Like the the idea that there is like a there are organizations like the UN develops like teams or whatever to go out and hunt down and shut down biolabs that might be trying to work on the new zombie virus. So you're like, okay, that's that's a thing that would happen. But the idea yeah. that it just went straight to, oh, I don't know what we do anymore, just fuck it. Yeah, like the fact that the BS, if you were going for a universe where that happened, like if you're going for a universe where uh, the Resident Evil games happened and now you're in a post-apocalypse, post-apocalypse after that, there's the BSAA, which are literally a task force designed to stop zombie outbreaks. You've got uh, other groups like um, uh, there's what the fuck are they called? There's Terra Save, which are you know literally an organization built to help uh, towns destroyed by uh, bioterrorist outbreaks. So there, there's reasons for, or there's plenty of organizations out there that would stop. The outbreak, the fact that they're just non-existent in this series, it's just glossing over a lot of things. Yeah, and you miss out on a lot of interesting characters there and stuff that you know, other characters can go do. Like you can take characters who survive season one, come back in season two, having joined agencies and groups and people who have the right idea of how to handle these type of things. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, we've I've sat and poked and prodded stuff like this. I I think I sent the text to you about the. Uh, the scene towards the end, where there's the little girl uh, who mysteriously gets a boat off a ship crawling with armed guards. Yeah. What? <laughs> there's no I was so burnt out at that stage. I just let it go. I was like, yeah, yeah it's dumb, but I don't care anymore. <laughs> One episode left of this shit. I just want it to be over. And then, for some reason, a giant reptile treats her like it, it's the family dog. Yeah. And a character calls out and says, what the fuck happened there? How did you... The, how did the giant alligator not attack her? And if, before she can answer, she just shoots her in the face. Or shoots her in the stomach. Yeah. And I'm like, get the answer to that. What the fuck? Yeah, find out what's happened. <laughs> Why is that child so special? It might be important later down the road. Yeah. And but somehow, you can tell it was just the fucking pheromones or some crap like that. And somehow, there will be a later down the road for the show. I think they've already ordered season two. I've actually, I was actually reading an article that said that it might just be a one season and done thing due to the reaction from it, but apparently it was watched enough to warrant a season two. Well, thank you to the com- production company Amalgamated Nonsense for Resident Evil by Netflix. I'm yeah. not joking. That's the fucking name of the show. That's the name of the company that made it. Uh, they actually called Amalgamated Nonsense. Yes. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I wonder if this has. There was a recent Netflix adaptation of something that really sucked as well. It happens a lot these days, kids. I'm not going to lie. It yep. gets kind of confusing to try and keep track of all them. But I wonder if there's any crossover between writers of that show and this show. Because it seems like it's got the same kind of like brain damage approach to television. What, are you talking about Cowboy Bebop? Yes. 
I want to see if it's the same company. It probably was. Although, from what I've been told, they're already working on uh, Yu Yu Hakusho. Yeah, I saw that one as well. Just fuck. Which is not going to go down well, because I I don't know what Yu Yu Hakusho is, apart from that it's one of those old classic 90s animes that everybody liked. It's up there, again, like, it's on most people's, like, this uh, was my favourite thing of all time as a kid, please don't touch this, it's my childhood. And Netflix being like, no, 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 don't worry, we'll be, we'll trust the, trust us with the adaptations. No, we can't, we we can't trust you with this stuff, you keep fucking it up. Yeah, like, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice. Actually, we should probably point out that before this episode started, you and I were just ranting about the fact that this keeps happening for people like Netflix, Amazon, whatever, they keep taking classic things from our childhood or like things we grew up with and saying, it's time for a modern adaptation. At which point everybody goes, oh shit. And they say, no, 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 just trust us. We're going to stay true to the source material. We're going to be faithful to the fans. We're going to give them what they want. And then it comes out, it sucks. And they say, well, you're not supposed to take it seriously. No. Yeah, or they say, oh, you're clearly this, like because you didn't like our progressive view of, <laughs> take, for, take, for example, what's in the zeitgeist. Uh, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. If you don't like that, I guarantee people are just going to say, oh, well, you're clearly a fucking narc, or you're, you know, so, somebody's a racist, or you're no. some kind of xenophobe. Your thing sucks. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. You can't say, you can't just say things like, oh, I didn't like that. You're like, well, you're racist. Like, no, it was nothing to do with the race. It was to do with the fact that the writers have a hole in their brain. Yeah, I'm I'm looking through details to see if there's any recurring producers or writers or whatever, and I don't see much in terms of Resident Evil and Cowboy Bebop. Which actually is weird, because executive producers for the Netflix version of Cowboy Bebop, there are a ton of them. Um, but the Resident Evil series... One of them the original show. Yeah. <laughs> and somehow they didn't. There's only like about four or five executive producers for the this show, and I don't see any crossover. But I... <laughs> I'd be taking this off my resume, if I'm honest. <laughs> I'd yeah. take both shows off my resume. Yeah, I don't see any like crossover between the, the produ- executive producers or anything like that, so I guess it's just Netflix has bad writers these days, which is odd. Because again, like, Netflix is part of most of Duty Stranger things, and House of Cards, and shows like that, and they've been a big part of pushing television to where it is now, where the assumption is... Movies are kind of movies can be great. The standout ones are great, but overall, it's just kind of the same blockbuster noise that's been running rampant for the last ten years. But television has stepped up its game. Now, television start to get to the point where there's not a lot of new ideas out there, so they're just grabbing whatever they can get their hands on and saying, "Oh, it's a modern retelling of blah," you know. Yeah, and that's they're doing that with fucking everything. Yeah, like they'll they'll take. Uh, there was a series that was coming out. I can't remember what the hell it was called, but it was the whole crux of the thing was, oh yeah, that happened, but we're just going a different route from that. We're taking it in a different direction. And it was something... I don't think it was Resident Evil. I can't remember what it was. It doesn't fucking matter, but I, I, do, I do agree with you that that is becoming the norm. Like, oh yeah, we're, we're building a new... We're doing a new version of something. I don't worry, it's not going to be like the original. We're going to take it in a completely new, completely respectful direction. It's like, buddy, we wanted the, like, if you do a good adaptation of what was on the video game or in the original light novel or the books or the, the manga or whatever, like, do that and you're fine because that's what we want. We don't want a new spin on stuff. Even if it's just to see something we already knew we we're going to love, 
materialized it's just you know that's <laughs> that's what we want that's what you're paying for you're paying for the license yep. to recreate a moment of joy for fans and your new idea or these weird new takes that aren't working out and i don't know yeah. how long it takes for whoever's producing the stuff to react to that or if they react to it at all because at a yeah, certain point st- sticking with resident evil is, is something that's becoming more and more apparent that people just want to see things from the games things from things from the books things from the light novels just done in live action yeah because there's moments in resident evil one we'd love to see that in, in live action this scene with or the part with Joel going into the trap room, the part with Chris confronting Wesker for the first time, the part where they fight the tyrant on the roof. You want to see shit like that. Instead of just alluding to it or admitting that it happened and then just brushing past it. Talking about Wesker's death in the volcano during Resident Evil 5, it's a one-sentence... It's one-sentence explanation. Just that, yeah, the real Wesker died in the volcano. People want to see the fight between Chris, Sheva, and Wesker on the volcano. People want to see Chris <laughs> punching the fuck out of Boulder. It is a cartoon, like, it is a fucking Acme Boulder moment. It's just, yeah. if it showed up on Looney Tunes, you're like, yeah, that's, that makes sense. It's one of the funniest yeah, moments sense. in gaming. <laughs> and you're like, nah, I did out Man Mountain, Chris Redfield, punching the shit out of a boulder to save his companion who's about to fall into lava, while Wesker is grunting and shouting, Chris, behind him, as he's, you know, throwing around these weird kind of worm tentacle things from his arms people want to see that shit people want to see Leon do these cool backflips and you know kick a zombie's head off like they, like he does in Resident Evil 4 they don't even fucking you know mention Leon in Netflix's Resident Evil but people want to see those cool moments and when Netflix or whoever has just come out and say yeah we're going to go in a different direction it can piss these people off and it makes people almost not want to watch it unless you're like me and there's nothing else to watch <laughs> Or yeah, like it just makes you want to turn away. Or you're me and you're a glutton for punishment. I, uh, yeah, would not recommend Netflix Resident Evil. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, and if you're a fan of Resident Evil and you haven't watched it and people say, oh, you're a fan of it, you'd really like it, you wouldn't. The references aren't enough to keep me going and the story itself is kind of brain dead. Unless you're Bert. Bert's awesome. <laughs> if you say so, man. I wasn't really that fussed about Bert. <laughs> I liked having the show devolved to such a bad point where you just didn't care anymore and then in walks a character who is clearly deranged. <laughs> and he's like, clearly, you know, a bit damaged in the head. <laughs> he clearly walks in and goes, I want to get waffles. <laughs> like, yeah. okay, where's this guy going? <laughs> and he just starts murdering people. <laughs> he, he did make me laugh and I got quite annoyed when I did that. He went, oh, I, these are unlimited breadsticks. <laughs> the unlimited red sticks it's like so it's one of the things like I don't know who thought of that and why it's so funny but it just it gets you every time like, oh no <laughs> yeah just the the second hand cringe of being the you know it's not quite a Karen moment but it's kind of there it's a bit more unhinged than a Karen moment or than I would think yeah. would qualify but at the same time just oh just the second hand cringe <laughs> I also like the fact that he hasn't eaten proper food in a while, so whatever restaurant they're in, the crappiest item is delicacy. Item. I think, have you not an Olive Garden? I swear it's an Olive Garden, which is notoriously bad. I automatically assumed that Olive Garden was just something that they made up for the show. No, no, no. Olive Garden's a chain restaurant in the United States, and I'm pretty sure it's notoriously bad. <laughs> okay. I, I, I have no idea what that is. Um, there, there was a brag they did once, and I remember it was from like an old clip of the Daily Show, and it was them saying, 
we've been using the same pots and pans for over 35 years. And John's like, John Schuster comes in and goes, yeah, because you don't fucking season anything. <laughs> you just have boiling water and pasta in there. Of course, nothing damages or rusts or degrades over time. You don't put any fucking food in there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of the, the art of adaptation, um, I guess I'll talk real quickly about it. Just a silly, uh, like romance uh comedy not comedy but it's a series i've been interested in for a while it's called uh, five centimeters per second it starts as a movie by makoto shinkai who i'm a big fan of he's a japanese anime director he likes to deal with a lot of like romance but tied to like a supernatural twist so uh in this it's all about uh, altering perspectives of different people who have uh, basically had a very close intimate relationship as kids mm-hmm. growing up but then they drift apart and it's all about just them at various points of their lives. And uh, it was interesting because I watched the movie ages ago and then came back to it. It's still good. It's it's still very kind of uh, resonant. Like still kind of, you feel a lot of the same stuff the characters are going through. And also if you're at different points of your life, like different parts will be more relevant. And it was, wasn't until just like randomly I picked up the, the manga ages ago. And then immediately kind of put it to the side because I have a bad habit of just buying stuff to have it. And then leaving it on the the to be read pile, um, like mm-hmm. there's still large chunks of berserk in there. There's still like whole series of Junji Ito novels and stuff. But I just added that to yeah, the yeah. to be read pile and just kind of left it as is. Went through and read that, and it changes some of the context because with it being a manga, it doesn't really have to be fully animated. Or it doesn't have to be animated at all because it's just like comic book panels, and it changes a bunch of stuff and changes like your view of one of the characters. So that's interesting that it would go back and change my perspective like that so I went back and watched the movie again to double check to make sure I didn't miss anything and I was like oh man I totally feel different from the character uh the guy character who has like uh he's the one who's kind of hung up on the the girl from the past and just the way he handles like one of the events in the book is that at one point he just says in the movie I uh it's when he's it's towards the end it's when he's an older he's in his like early 20s and he's like yeah I broke up with the girl who was dating for the last three years and just didn't really feel like I was connected to her. And watching it go through the story in the manga is one of the most heartbreaking, like, horrible breakups I've ever seen in my entire life. He basically just kind of ditches her when she says, oh, you should meet my parents. And like, no, I don't feel like doing that. And he disappears for like three weeks. <laughs> like, okay, dick move. He, uh, he, she finally shows up at his work to be like, hey, we need to talk about this. Like, what's going on with us? Are we, are we still in a, in a relationship? And he just like says... I can't really talk about it. So they're sitting on like a subway, like uh, just on like a train car. And mm-hmm. rather than actually talk through his feelings and emotions, he's like, I can't do this. I can't talk to you about this. Can I text you? <laughs> and it's a man and a woman sitting next to each other, texting about how they're breaking up and they're moving apart as people. <laughs> like, it's fucking painful. <laughs> it's so bad. And then, uh, yeah, they, they have like this, uh, this scene of like just kind of saying, okay, maybe we can work this out. Just... Can I come? Can we go to this place and we can explain more? Like maybe if I show you where I grew up, it might be. They get to like step off the train. He has a mild panic attack about being back to where he was a kid and where all this all this happened and set him off. And he leaves her on the platform when the train just drives away. <laughs> like what the fuck? <laughs> That's harsh as fuck. It's so brutal and like he, they try to like patch things back together. He comes back to um. They, they kind of meet back later that same night and he's like, I'm so sorry. And it's like, I don't think sorry cuts this one, bro. <laughs> he fucked up. <laughs> and it, like, it totally changes the, the colour of the experience. But it's interesting that, you know, the um, the movie came out first 
and then the technically the manga is the adaptation because that came afterwards once they had the story fleshed out for the movie. But then I've read the there was a, an extra novel that was written on at the end of it called One More Side, and then that is every time the perspective flips in the movie, you get the alternative perspective of a character in the book. I was like, okay, that'll be interesting. And then the final episode, or the final segment, where that horrible breakup happens, plays out just the exact same way. But you have, for the alternative character, it's the original girl he was kind of hung up on from way back when, like as a child. She's just mm-hmm. happily married. He's he's thinking, maybe I could get her back if I just go over and make some grand romantic gesture. And then she's like, I quite like my husband, I think he's a nice guy. You know, we compliment each other. You know, oh no. <laughs> All the drama that we know is going on, all the horrible breakups and stuff, are just being uh, all for nothing. Um, and actually, part of the resolution of the movie is that he realizes it was never going to work out anyway. And it's it's kind of like that's just a weird uh, knack you get with adaptations of like going back and forward with different perspectives. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever seen anybody do that before. I don't, do you think of anything that was like the book tells it one way, the the movie says another, and then like a comic book tells us a third separate story? I could maybe think like Injustice, that series. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that. Uh, Injustice, uh, I mean, I can think of things that haven't done it intentionally, but yeah. Yeah, I'd probably say Injustice is the only one that springs to mind that's does, that, you know, the game tells it one way and then the book tells it, the comic book tells it a much bigger but quite different way. In the, yeah. in the games, they're not popping uh, super pills to fight on par with Superman in the in the books, they're just like, oh shit, we need to fight metahumans, let's pop all these ultra steroids. <laughs> let's get like Krypton roided out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I just, I find it interesting that, like, depending on what medium you have, like, the limit of one, so, like, a video game has to be open-ended, or it yeah. has to be kind of relevant, because it's a fighting game, so you have to have all the kind of various scenarios kind of be loosely tied together. Um, whereas with this one, obviously the animation budget for the film caused a restriction and it resulted in this massive change in tone that, mm. that's fascinating that, that happened but just to, we were talking about adaptations there from like one media to another i was like oh that reminds me about you know five centimeters per second i'd recommend it it's i don't yeah. think people will enjoy it if like you're used to what we normally talk about which is normally like violence and guns and awesome stuff but <laughs> if, if it's something like you know what i could do with a rom-com you could throw that on and it's it's interesting and it's got um a great um, oh, one thing I noticed as well is that there's a song that plays in the, the movie uh, called uh, One More Time, One More Chance. And that mm-hmm. plays at like kind of a lot of emotional climax moments. And that actually, the lyrics from that song uh, are translated into the book as like one of the final parts of it. I'm like, oh, that immediately set the, the music off in my head as a fan of the, the, of the film. That's well played, sir. And it is kind of hard at any stage to get an adaptation going. So when you do that. You do get any kind of adaptation, you know, grab a hold of it. If it's good or bad, stick with it. It might, it might get better or it might even out. You never know. Yeah. What have you been, other than like watching some of the worst television, some of the best television of the year, what have you been watching or doing or playing? Uh, I went to go, I, just as I'm kind of scrolling through Twitter here, I see uh, Christian Bale doing the makeup for uh, God the God Butcher. I went to go and see Thor Love and Thunder. All right. And it it did gore well. Interesting, because that was it, a, a dodgy point for me. I was like, I'm not sure if they can pull this one off. They kind of don't. They they don't pull off that he's making the god bomb because the god bomb is an Avengers level threat. Mm-hmm. 
for the MCU because you know, yeah. in the comics, you know, a Thor could show up and fight Thanos one on one. Power scaling is much much lower in uh, the MCU. But uh, he is just trying to kill all the gods by getting to something called the Well of Eternity, so he can make a wish and banish all gods. Uh, but instead I, of, I was going to say, is the, is the God Bomb not supposed to be like it kills all gods across all timelines and all universes at the and same all time. universes and all multiverses at once? Yeah. So it's basically something that only Thanos was told the Infinity Gems could do. He finds a way to do. But. Uh, Instead of having it be the all-black necrosword that was uh, the weapon of Null, the god of all symbiotes, it's literally just a sword called the necrosword that's mm. capable of killing gods. Which was like, that could have been a cool way to introduce symbiotes or have them in this in the MCU, but I, I guess Kevin Feige has got some way of bringing in symbiotes another way. I reckon that that would be because symbiotes were tied to Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that fucking... Sony license coming back to bite us again. Yeah, to me it would have been cool because the, the we know that Venom's going to be in the MCU at some point. Venom is going to the black suit's going to you know take over Spidey. That is coming because of what happens at the end of No Way Home. But to me it would have just been nice if say oh symbiotes do exist in this universe. Here's one because uh, the all black Necrosword takes over uh, Gore and that's what you know the symbiote madness because it's from the God of all symbiotes hits him quicker. Yeah. So you know the the lunacy and the you know madness kind of takes him over a bit quicker. But I can understand why they did it. It's like, oh, it's just a necrosword. It's a weapon capable of killing gods, and it summons you know all these weird dark creatures that kind of look like symbiotes anyway. Uh, but for legal reasons, are not. <laughs> yeah, legally distinct from symbiotes. Yeah. But it, they do some weird things in this film. Uh, that being one of them, to me, and uh, another weird one for me was Zeus. Zeus is as powerful as Odin in the comics. But in this one he's kind of a he's got the very weird accent when he asks when Thor comes to the, the Hall of Gods or what's it they call it? Uh, it's like Omnipotency or Omnipotent City or something like that they call it. Yeah. It's some weird name like that. Uh, just that just smash the words to, Omnipotent and City together and just yeah, it's Omnipotent that. City. Yeah. Uh, he, he talks to Thor. He talk, Thor talks to Zeus. It's like we need a weapon. We need an army capable of killing Thor or capable of killing Gore. Otherwise, all the and dogs kicking off in the background, man. Uh, otherwise, Gore is going to wipe us all out. And you know, you can pack it in your little bastard. Jesus Christ, fifteen years old and you're still causing me all this trouble. <laughs> oh shit! Uh, don't cut that out. God damn it! People need to know that I have a fifteen-year-old bastard of a dog kicking off and throwing things about. I need an army, I need a weapon capable of fighting uh, Gore, otherwise we're all dead. And Zeus is like, hey, chill out, man, stay here, have a glass of wine, have some grapes. Just chill out, we're gods, we don't need to worry about it. And I'm just sitting there thinking, this is kind of, I get this Russell Crowe and the guy's a fucking genius actor, but this is getting kind of racist. It's like he can't do Borat. <laughs> yeah, it's, honestly, it's like he's trying to do Borat, but not succeeding in any way, shape or form. And it just comes off as kind of cheesy. The one person whose accent is getting better, I'd say, would be uh, Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie, because she's trying to do this kind of high Lord English accent. Yeah. But still come off as a drunk scumbag. And she does it pretty well. Her character gets a lot of growth in this one, because hmm. she is the de facto leader of New Asgard. And she does, she does really well. Uh, uh, Valkyrie kind of proves herself in this one, not just as a, a warrior, but in 
as a pretty decent character. And the one character that I kind of wish they did more with was uh, Jane Foster's Mighty Thor, because you get the sense that uh, Reg, uh, Thor Odinson has now done so much in the MCU that he's kind of up on a plinth. Uh, he's just this all-powerful being, and uh, with Jane Foster being able to wield the reconstructed Mjolnir because of an enchantment that Thor put on it by accident, he's kind of, he, he talks to his hammer, his, his hammer's talk to him as well, so he puts an enchantment on it, saying, you know, no matter what Mjolnir, I need you to protect Jane, and that's what allows Jane to wield Mjolnir. It's, it's kind of cheesy, but it, it works, right? Hmm. So when, when uh, Jane's wielding Mjolnir, uh, she does quite well, she does quite well as the, the Mighty Thor, but they, they just kind of reduce her to this kind of, I can do just as good as Thor, and you know, she tries to do these weird catchphrases, she tries to do all these weird uh not weird. She does all these really cool moves with Mjolnir, like she makes this cool lightning whip out of the all the detached pieces of Mjolnir that are attached with a lightning bolt. She's kind of swinging that around. She does this cool, like sort of missile spam thing where she launches the pieces of Mjolnir, right? Uh, which which is pretty cool. Uh, I just don't feel like they did a whole hell of a lot with her. They're just like, yeah, girl boss Thor, what up? Yeah, kinda and. Not them saying when she's not on the screen, she doesn't do well. Like because the, the the whole subplot with her having cancer is prevalent in it, and the fact that she's a human wielding a god's weapon is slowing down her own natural healing, so she's not fighting the cancer using Mjolnir. And uh, they do they do a real point of driving that home and Thor's uh, Odin's son. She's kind of going, you know, I can't live with you if you're using my hammer and it's killing you. Yeah, uh, <laughs> for your they, own they good. They do a good I job with that, but way. they don't really. I kind of feel like they could have done a bit more with. Uh, the mighty Thor, in yeah. my opinion, anyway. But at least it's not because I'd heard bad things about this movie, and I'm like, I'll probably watch it. I've got Disney Plus now, so if that comes there, I'll watch it. But I'd heard like it's not, not a bad film at all. Hmm. I uh, guess people are just like it's, it's quite funny because uh, Taika Waititi definitely delves into the comedy of Thor, which I think is kind of deliberate. Deliberate uh, Thor's never really been a funny character to me, especially because I'm reading the God Butcher saga. Thor is definitely not a funny character in that. He's very serious and quite uh, you know, down to earth most times. But he, there's a bit of comedy and a bit of humour to uh, Thor because he has quite literally a god fighting humans, fighting mortals. Uh, but they, obviously they play up the comedy with this uh, because the the handle for Stormbreaker is taken from an adolescent group. The hammer starts acting up. Like, uh, there's a few times where Odinson tries to summon Mjolnir to his hand and then Stormbreaker just kind of appears like a jealous ex or a jealous girlfriend just kind of going oh your hammer's here dickhead <laughs> which, which was again pretty funny it's such a weird thing to, to bring into the franchise that you know, cause I don't think he's talked to much not at all I'd say yeah, I don't he's think never really spoken to his hammer before oh okay I mean I guess I would say like maybe he's lonely but no he left with the Guardians of the Galaxy at the end of the last movie, he's been adventuring with people. Who? Or yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been adventuring, but I think uh, I think it's just that he's seen me on there's back. Like, oh crap, it's my old hammer. I want to use my old hammer again. But Stormbreaker's like, hey, you've got me now. Yeah. What's um? Is there anything for the Guardians of the Galaxy in this film, or is that just skipped over? Yeah, they're they're in there, but all the all the adverts and shit were just meet, uh, see the mighty Thor fight with the Guardians of the Galaxy. It's just. And they're in it for all of about five minutes. Right, okay. 
I mean, I suppose with that film franchise at the time this was being made, the whole James Gunn thing was probably kicking off, so they didn't talk much about it. I didn't want to use him too much. Probably not, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, it's good to know it's actually a good film. Like, cause that is, yeah, I'd recommend it. When you hear about it and people know it's just not as good as it used to be, I'm like, is it actually bad or are we feeling like a bit of franchise fatigue? Because it seems kind of popular to just dunk on Marvel now. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of that going about. And from what I've seen, people were just saying, I've heard one camp that's people saying, this film should have been all about Thor Odinson. Uh, because, you know, he is Thor. Uh, Jane Foster should not should not be Thor. And then there's another camp saying, this film should have been all about the mighty Thor. Odinson should have died and all that crap. And then there's people like me who just wanted to see a good Marvel film. And, and they got that. Uh, Gor was a good villain. Seeing all the other gods was pretty funny. Zeus with his over-the-top Eastern European kind of Greek accent was just funny. But bordering on racist, I'd I'd recommend going to see it if you like uh, Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness, and you've liked other Phase Four uh, Phase Four films. I'd say go and see uh, Love and Thunder. You'll find more to like about it than you'll find to hate. That's good to know. It's not as fuck awful as people say. It's people that think it's fuck awful are just pissed off that oh Lady Thor, oh, Lady Thor, Thor can't have Which boobs. Thor can't have boobs. Well, yeah, did he moves in the last one? What are you talking about? Yeah, he's, he <laughs> big, big transforms from throughout most of the film when he's not in his armor, he looks like Terry Bogard from King of Fighters. <laughs> Although I will say, when at the start of the film when he's got the black armor, he looks exactly like he does in the comics because he's got like the kind of weird sort of fur lined cape thing, and he looks genuinely cool. Then he transforms into that blue and gold piece of shit. Genuinely, the worst armor that you've seen Thor wear. Hmm. I'll check it out. Mighty Thor's armor is pretty damn good, but no, the blue and gold armor that he wears at the end of, or for the rest of the film is shit looking. Yeah, especially when you've shown you a better version of it like five minutes before. Yeah. When you've shown, shown you probably the best looking armor that you've seen, the most accurate looking armor that you've seen for most of it, then he just goes to this kind of horrible looking armor. Nah, didn't like it. Still, great film. Uh, heartily recommend going to see it, or you know, wait till it comes out on Disney Plus and watch it there. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I just, I just don't have the the time or the the, the money to go out and just watch uh, films at this point. I'm just, I may have blown my, uh, my my allowance on stuff on Steam for no reason. Yeah. Um, I, completely. I, the minute someone says Steam sales, I'm like, yeah, I, I don't blame you. I know what that means. <laughs> it's. It might be the worst version of it, because at least with the physical media, I actually get something that I can at least maybe trade back or do something with. But with Steam, mm. I'm just kind of like, eh, I'll just I'll buy it. I'll, list. I'll get to it eventually. I mean, I, I've had Stray there for a week, and I've just been staring at the icon, yeah. being like, I'll play it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it, maybe. I don't know. I, I have a couple of days off. I'll you know, I'll force myself to play it over the next couple of days. I, I, must, I must go through it and just play it, because it's only like five hours. But I bought it, I paid for it, I should, it can't be another Steam summer sale casually. Yeah. There's so many games on Steam that are like that for me. It's just, I bought it, I'll get around to it. I'll, I probably never will. There's other games that show up. Yeah, it's people who say, oh, I, uh, yeah, I subscribe to the Epic Games uh, game launcher as well, because they give you a free game every month, and I'm like, but but, but you don't play Steam games enough to justify a Steam account. Like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> Well, you know, I just like to have them. I just like to have them on my archive. And you're like, no, this is <laughs> this is hoarding, but for digital content. Yeah. But everyone does that, man. True. 
we all download games and then we get, or in my case, we all buy games like Xenoblade Chronicles. I'm playing through that a bit. But I always kind of find myself putting Xenoblade down and going to play uh, Multiverses. The new, uh, it's not a Smash clone, but it's a Smash-like game from Warner Brothers. All right. So, so the th- cast is all Warner Brothers characters. You mentioned this to me earlier. It'd be the whole thing of like, wait, multiverses as opposed to, as as like a multi multiverse of madness. I was like, no, wait, multiverses. Okay, right, got yeah. you. Yeah, and like I said, it's all uh, Warner Brothers characters. So you'll have characters like Wonder Woman, Superman, fighting off against the Iron Giant and uh, Steven Universe from program steven universe and tom and jerry and bugs bunny and shit like that uh, never in my life would i say to myself yes i kicked the hell out of that bugs bunny and iron giant team as batman and the person on my team was wonder woman never in my life would i thought i'd utter the sentence you know shaggy is kind of like the ryu of this game <laughs> that's <laughs> okay like so the idea is basically the smash verse is that all the Nintendo characters go to a magical world and punch the shit out of each other. Yeah. Same idea, basically, for this Warner Brothers thing. Same idea, but the controls are a bit. The controls are a bit different, and there's there's no sort of final smashes. It's all just build up enough damage and uh, get the knockout type of thing. And it's all based. It's they recommend that you go on teams. Uh, so they recommend that if you're just starting, go to team play. So no smashes. Is this just like a straight fighting game? Because with Smash Bros and stuff like that, they have like these the platform level design where it's part you could beat the you basically have to knock the opponent off rather than just knock yeah. the health bar down. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's a platform fighter. Right. Okay. You, you you build up enough damage and you can basically spike them off the edge, or if you're good enough with your character, you can just drive them down in the dirt. Hmm. Okay. That I might check out footage of this because it sounds quite like silly but fun at the same time. Oh yeah, it's completely it's, it's it's just stupid dumb fun. Like for example, uh, it's no it's no surprise I play Batman, and don't want to you know toot my own horn because I probably will be beaten several times in this game uh, this game later. But I am not bad at this game, and my main character is Batman. Uh, you'll see that on my if you ever look at my uh, my levels for all the characters because you can level them up and you get perks and things like that for the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of my characters are at level... Some of them are at level 1, some of them are at level 2, a couple level 5s in there. Before I'd unlock Batman, I played about with uh, Wonder Woman, and I played about with uh, another character called Garnet, who's from Steven Universe. But my highest leveled character is Batman at level 13. Uh, and it is just... It's a lot of fun, and it, I think what helps it be just a really good game is the fact that it's implementing something called Rollback Netcode, which just makes it buttery smooth to play. I was going to ask you, what's the multiplayer experience if you're playing as a team game? I assume there's no couch co-op. There is couch co-op, but uh, the online is genuinely a saving grace in this because I'm playing with a lot of people from the uh, the US and there's a couple of people from Spain that I played with just through lobbies and matchups and stuff and there was no lag whatsoever. It was great. That's good. Suppose... Even with my shitty internet. <laughs> Even with the Warner Brothers, uh, like money behind it, you would assume that servers would be just like kind of mediocre. For a, like... no, the, the, despite the fact that this is a free-to-play game, which is another just can help. Like, what are they doing here? Uh, the servers are solid. Warner Brothers definitely put some money into this because the 
every character that shows up is voiced by the original actor. Oh. With the exception of LeBron James. They got in a voice of like LeBron James. Wait, LeBron's in this? Yep, LeBron James is in multiverses. Oh. All of his attacks are basketball based. Please, please tell me Michael Jordan was coming in a patch. <laughs> he might be a downloadable character later on. I, I just want him to be better than LeBron James, just to piss off basketball fans. <laughs> Maybe. Because <laughs> LeBron is a specimen of an athlete. And it's probably like prime LeBron versus prime Michael Jordan. It'd be a fun match to watch. But at the same time, I, you would kind of naturally give the edge to LeBron. Um, but at the same time, like, you just kind of wonder, like, if, if you could do it just as a troll. <laughs> I mean, I would have fun throwing batarangs at them as Batman. It would be pretty cool. But yeah. I mean, they, they're adding in a whole lot uh, more characters like, uh, from a leak that I seen well in fact it's not a leak, they've confirmed that uh, Rick and Morty are gonna be in the game. Yeah, that's like was... in a one character. <laughs> uh, Samurai Jack is meant to be in the game. Personally I want one of the Ed boys from Ed Ed and Eddie. <laughs> I, I, I want... want Big Ed in the game because he'd just be, you know, chaos incarnate and Rolf. Fuck it, why not Rolf? I'm looking at the characters, uh Arya Stark is in there. Batman, yeah, she's a weird one. Finn Human, Garnet, Harley Quinn, Jake the Dog, uh, Rain Dog. Don't know that one. Shaggy. Yeah, he's an original character. Like, just for this game? Yeah, the people that made the game made Rain Dog. Interesting. Uh, Steven Universe, Superman, naturally. Tom and Jerry as a single character. Wonder Woman and a bigger roster. Is Slimer in there? Slimer? Or is that like a wish list? Oh, it's a wish list. Yep, sorry. That would be a wish list, yeah. But th- there probably will be a Ghostbuster in there somewhere. Someone who was in this put JoJo characters in there for like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure? Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody. No. Your wish list is stupid. Please fuck. Yeah. No one wants that as much as you do. <laughs> the model for Arya Stark weirdly fits next to the model for Bugs Bunny, and I'm kind of impressed, but kind of horrified at what that looks like. Yeah, the art style looks really, really good. You can tell that they went for a definite cartoony art style, and Arya Stark sticks out a bit like a sore thumb. Not going to complain, though. I mean, it does look funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a really. I was surprised how much fun I had with this with this game, uh, and when you go into the training mode, all the characters are unlocked, so you can play them, you know, as and when, just testing out different characters. Uh, That's a nice touch. You know, Superman himself is a pretty fun character, but you just you don't feel good playing as Superman. You're like, these are just regular humans, man. <laughs> You're. You're a god amongst men, wailing on the smallest of men. Yeah. <laughs> You're being I mean, up so a cat. Far, it, so far, obviously, Batman's my main character, but I played uh, a bit of Velma. Right. And the amount of damage that I was able to rack up as Velma is ridiculous. You <laughs> just, you're a detective, and I'm doing, you know, I'm doing, you know, off the ground combos and stuff with you. I'm, you know, doing OTGs, bouncing down into wall spikes and things. I shouldn't be able to do this with fucking Velma. <laughs> then you've got Shaggy who's doing uh, he can uh, he has because he's the meme version of Shaggy he can charge up his Super Saiyan aura <laughs> and then he goes into a kind of weird Ultra Instinct Super Saiyan form and that powers up his attacks and he can throw sandwich fireballs there's been the running meme of the idea that Shaggy is one of those powerful things in the universe that he's only been using like 0.1% of his power or something like that yeah <laughs> Or then the running gag of, you think my power can be measured by percentage? <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they tap into that. They lean into that hard. That's fucking awesome. 
he's actually a really good character. When I say that he's the Ryu of the game, he's easy to use. He has a fireball. He has a he has an uppercut, and he has a, a hurricane kick. What platform is this on? In case anyone wants to check it out, it is on. I think it's coming to Switch, and it's currently an open beta on PC, PlayStation Five, and Xbox Series X and Series S. Oh, that's good. And it's free to play. Well, I'm I'm curious. How what is the monetization like? I assume there's skins. Yeah, there's skins that you can buy, but you can earn them. You can earn in-game gold by playing the game, and that's what you can use to get uh, costumes and things like that. Interesting. Or you can pay premium. You can get something called Gleamium, which is their kind of premium uh, money. Of all the dumb names for a fucking premium game. Yeah. Premium currency. Gleamium. Jesus. Gleamium, yeah. Apparently you can earn that in game as well, but I don't care. I just got enough money. I am, I unlocked Batman, and I'm now on my way to unlock Velma as a playable character because those are the characters I have the most fun with. Well, that was not what I expected to hear. Oh, dude, it's a, it's a great game. From a free, I have a bad taste in my mouth from Nickelodeon All Stars Brawl because that game released and it was, it was a smash. It was just an out and out smash clone with all these Nickelodeon characters and thought you know this would be quite fun because you can play as the avatar characters you can play as the ninja turtles you can play as a uh, powder toast man from ren and stimpy you can play as ren and stimpy themselves but it had no voice acting and it just kind of felt a bit nah, a bit half done but then you go to multiverses and you've got fucking uh what's his name vin diesel uh saying iron giants lines you've got uh Maisie williams coming back to voice Arya stark you've got uh, Susan Eisenberg voicing Wonder Woman. You've got uh, Kevin Conroy coming back to voice Batman. Tara Strong voicing Harley Quinn. You've got all the original voice actors back, obviously with the exception of LeBron James, uh, to voice their characters. So there's been more loving and care put into multiverses. The free-to-play game, because they know if we go free-to-play and we bring in the characters and we have a rollback netcode, people won't be so pissed off about paying for you know character skins and that because you can still lock, unlock them in-game. Nice. I don't mind that type of business model as long as you're not being exploitative of like the the whole kind of unlocking thing for skins. As long as it's yeah. not too bad for that. But it's interesting. Yeah, I, mean, like, I wonder where they're starting. We have to see what it's like in the full version. So it, it might change. Yeah. But I don't think it will. Time for some elevator pitches. Let's do it. Right. Um, I'm going to... I name dropped them earlier, but I said that there was Taiwanese folk metal. So I'm going to name... I'm going to give the elevator pitch for... Uh, Longma, which is a song by Nini Music, and uh, basically there's no vocals on this track, but there is a fantastic sound. It just feels very different. Um, Nini Music does uh, covers as well, like this. She's gonna get started on YouTube as well. A lot of these, but so if you want to hear um, cover songs of like uh, pop songs with Asian folk instruments, give it a listen. Next one. What have you brought for the class, Dominic? What have? Oh, dude, you just fooled me. I don't like that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You've heard me talk about this channel a few times, and now I'm basically going to drop the link to you so you have no reason not to watch it. Uh, but I've been watching for the past, I think, two, three years, a channel called Dead Meat on YouTube, and I've dropped the link for the channel there. Uh, they do Their signature show is The Kill Count, which is they kind of dissect your favourite films and uh, tally up all the different uh, kills in your favourite horror movies. It's a really, really good series. The host, uh, James A. Janice, uh, genuinely a horror fan, like horror runs in his blood. Uh, he's an actor as well, so he's been in a couple of horror TV shows. Uh, and he, 
it's not just the mainstream horror films that you're going to see in there. You're going to see different films. Like uh, he recently covered Blackula, uh, right. the black exploitation version of Dracula. That was actually a lot better than I thought it was going to be. When you hear black exploitation, you immediately think, "Oh, this is going to be this is going to be hard to watch." But no, it was a really really good film, and the the actor playing uh, the titular role uh, had genuinely one of the coolest voices I've ever heard. Uh, and then there's other films that he'll, he'll do kind of weird B horror films like uh, there's a he did a New Year's film that was all about these four or five British uh, English people they go to a, an island for the for the holiday for some kind of holiday and you know the the curse of the mansion starts taking them over and all these weird very 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 good looking special effects just take them over and it's a really really good film so I'd highly recommend if you're a horror fan even if you're not you just want to see a show with a, a lot of decent production value recommend that you look up the dead meat youtube channel right links to that will be in the episode description and we'll put those out on twitter as well speaking of which if you'd like to get in contact with us you can do so at jibberfish no just at jibberfish on twitter it's been a while uh you can also yep. reach out to us at jibberfish podcast at gmail.com uh, send us an email that's for until the next time i've been colin graham i've been tom anderson and we've been talking jibberfish <laughs>